When I joined the club three years ago, I went to Tottenham for the first time. Wow. I mean, it's, that's a cathedral of rugby, that is. What, what a stadium that is. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's bang on half past seven. It is a morning where we are celebrating a Republic of Ireland victory. It's Wednesday morning. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. It's Ger, Owen and Nathan with you this morning. Gentlemen, start your engines, please. How are you? Very well. Very well. Good morning. Where are you, Owen? Uh, I'm currently outside Caseman Park. We've been up in Belfast now for the last uh, 24 hours or so, looking into the situation here as to what's going on. We've got a connection, obviously, to, to the Euros, please, as uh, we look to host games in Dublin and in Belfast in 2028. Um, so I was outside Windsor Park last night. We'll bring you some of that a little bit later on. I was chatting to Joe Brawley yesterday. We'll bring you some of that later on. And uh, John Fanu from the MP as well, uh, as this becomes, as this is already been quite a massive political story, really, over the last little while how to get this stadium built. So that's why I'm here. But I guess it's probably hard to not try Parrot off the top of the agenda this morning, isn't it? Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to Troy Parrot in one second. So you were at Windsor Park last night, you were at Casement Park this morning. You're seeing both sides of the divide, Owen. You're bringing peace. You are the you are the emissary <laughs> of peace that this country... All we needed to do was get a morning sports breakfast show to send you to Belfast to work everything out. That, that's how to do it. That, that's what people will be saying this morning. Yeah, possibly. Uh, I'm, like I mean, I, I apologise for the noise here. The, the Anderson's Town Road is a very, very busy road at half past seven on a morning as people actually go to their go to their jobs. Uh, just around the corner are the, the estates that uh, you're going to hear about and the legal challenge after Easter when the residents uh, try and stop uh, the redevelopment here at Casement Park. There's a big objection here. Uh, and what you have is a stadium that you just can't get a sense of whatsoever. It is dilapidated inside. People... Uh, will have seen the drone footage on YouTube of uh, the, the elephant grass and the complete overgrown state of the field in there. Uh, and you can barely get a peek inside at the moment. So that, that is the current state of play here at this point. Uh, Windsor Park, though, uh, not so much in, in that sort of state. Uh, a really, really nice facility, to be honest. It's, um, it's, it's very well done up. And uh, a lot of people outside last night would have said, why can't we take this stadium to 30,000 as opposed to redeveloping that GEA ground? Oh yeah, okay. What about re? I'm sure you. I'm sure you fixed that with uh, with logic and reason. That's how, that's all that's, that's ever been needed with the situation in Belfast. We'll come back to that a little bit later on. But if anybody has any comments for us or any smartness that you want to get off your chest at the moment, as Owen queues outside somewhere in the early morning trying to get in. Is, is this an experience you had outside Bergheim at the weekend, Owen, as well? Exactly the same. All I've done is stood outside the last four days and you know what I'm okay with that there's a sort of inner peace I've thought about everything all of my inner monologues have finally been completed at this point uh, mission accomplished uh, in terms of what's going on in my head I think Nathan good that's, morning to you that's, that, that's not really the shot that tourism Northern Ireland usually uh, give you when you see somebody up on tour in <laughs> Belfast good point yeah it's as, it's as good as I could do there is uh, there is a mural and that, that's about it there was like a, a, a kind of a left behind refrigerator and a skip full of rubbish at the other entrance to the stadium which I thought might have been more authentic but no I said I'd, I'd give the artsy side to the stadium All right. God it's a terrible shame to see Caseman Park in that state I remember being up there must be 10 years ago for an Ulster semi-final to road against Derry and the place was packed the sun was shining and just even driving past it in the last couple of times in Belfast you could see how run down it was getting like it's a 
pretty it's a bloody disgrace what's been let happen a stadium of that size because listen, I know Owen's going to get into the uh, issues around the community there and the redevelopment and all of that but it felt at the time it was set in the perfect location actually that there was a real walking up to the ground it, it, it meant something it carried something so it's a long way to go from where Owen is standing right now to having a game at Euro 2028. We'll come back to that a little bit later on because it is time for us to talk about Troy Parrott and the difference a 97th minute winner makes to the mood music around the team and the sense of confidence they have. Does it matter? It's a, it's a friendly against Lithuania, Nathan. Explain to us why this matters. It's hard to explain why it matters. Like, ten minutes after the game, the Irish supporters behind the goal, the, the most hardy band of Irish supporters in that singing section, are still there singing Stephen Kenny's name. He's taking their acclaim. Any previous manager over the last decade, a scrappy 1-0 win at home in a friendly on a Tuesday night. I don't think you're getting booed off for that win, but you're. You know, people are just going home. They're getting on with their lives. They're forgetting about it. But there's a connection there with this side that we saw on Saturday and the noise that greeted both the goals for Ogbene and Brown and just the general atmosphere around the place that... Maybe Irish fans are just looking for a bit of joy and happiness and they're finding it any little thing right now because we know that there's no major final coming for at least two years. But it was incredible, the reaction to the strike from Troy Parrott, which was just a sensational finish considering the game should have been long since over. it. There's always something a bit more magical about a goal that you think definitely isn't coming. That The game should have been over. I can't understand how the referee was still playing it. Uh, but well, like the cheating goalkeeper, a... the cheating goalkeeper with his his pretend injury to his balls. He was like, "Oh, I slipped." Oh. Well, he's not exactly. He's not exactly the Israeli goalkeeper from two thousand and five. No, it's not Dudo what, whatever but... that guy's name was. But like, in fairness, that's what happens. The wages of sin are death, buddy. You roll around. The referee stops his watch. It's not that. It's not that big a deal. It's not that. Not that much of a mystery. The ref, for once. For once, cheating in injury time actually had an impact on the opposition. So I, I for one, wholeheartedly agree with the extra two minutes. There seems to be just a complete transformation between the relationship of supporters and players and management, where I'm sure at times over the last five, six years, the players wondered on nights at the Aviva when things weren't going well, you know, if these supporters were fully behind them. Whereas now they know that actually maybe we can go, we can take risks. We don't have to win absolutely every game as long as we look as though we're trying. Maybe there's an acceptance among the supporters, a good footballing knowledge that you know these players aren't all playing in the Premier League, that they are actually out there doing their very best and sometimes it's it's not going to be good enough. Uh, but yeah, it's... It's a it's a funny time following the Republic of Ireland and geez, I'd say I cannot wait to get back here for June for whatever games happen for the Nations League. Uh, John Fallon in the Examiner has it that this is our 10th late goal under Stephen Kenny um, or maybe it's the 10th late goal in games involving Ireland. It seemed like it was our 10th late goal, double figures, which is fairly amazing. And Kenny talks about it being a characteristic of the team now. I mean, there aren't that many things that you would say we have established, but not dying... And, and keeping going till the very end is something that is, is definitely there. Like, is that why we're actually saying if this happened once, fine, but it's happening again and again and again that they're continuing to play to the end? And I think that's the key. They're continuing to play. It's not stick Nathan Collins up front for the last 10 minutes and hoop it up there and hope we can get a scrappy goal. Like, Ireland had four. Their four best chances of the game came from the 89th minute on last night. And they were all really good chances and would have been cracking goals even before Troy Parrott tucked one away so they keep doing the right thing they keep they just seem to up the tempo the substitutes are always making a difference has also been key 
in this run under Stephen Kenny of one defeat in 12 games. And players come on, they always seem to add something. And that was definitely the case again last night. Maybe unsurprisingly, when he's bringing a lot of the more uh, regular players off the bench. I thought Jeff Hendrick did really well when he came on. Jason Knight was buzzing around the place. And, and Troy Parrott had his, you know, his best 10-minute spell in an Ireland jersey. So, listen, it's exactly the type of thing you want from a team that they never give up. They're not going to just roll over when they were struggling at home. And on a night, again, where... They've had four goals ruled out for offside, haven't played outstandingly well. It's a friendly, you take your nil-nil, you take the little bit of stick you get at the end of it and you move on. But there was a desperation there to actually give something back, to score that goal. A, a sense of urgency that they needed this winner, that they don't want to give up this bit of momentum that they have. And yeah, those last last six, seven minutes were, were crazy. You were obviously polluting the airwaves of Twitter with your late night filth. Sorry, it's called Late Night League of Ireland. Uh, so I don't know, did you get to the press conferences afterwards? I didn't get to the press conferences afterwards, no. But um, I was watching back a lot of the interviews this morning. And yeah, I think Stephen Kenny, as you said, uh, had a big old smile on his face. Uh, Troy Parrott spoke very well. Like, geez, what a moment. As he said, it grows up a mile from the stadium to score a goal like that in the last minute to give your side victory after a week where you know he'd spoken very well about how he feels there's been a bit of a sea change in his career over the last six months how he's basically copped himself on has realized what it's all about and what's at stake and how he's got to put the head down on and off the pitch so maybe that goal elevates him to another level with Ireland and I don't know if it quite puts him in a position to be starting come June but we don't know if the June will be two games or four games. If it's four games, everyone's going to get a game at some stage. Yeah. Uh, and before, suddenly you're a lot happier seeing Troy Parrott come on. Before the goal, when he was getting possession of the ball in the forward positions and uh, people were coming over to him, in the past you felt like maybe they were going to be able to just take the ball off him or just kind of use their physical strength. Again, equality of the opposition notwithstanding, it looks like he's benefiting from playing man's football against grown men. Well, physical strength was one thing the Lithuanians had, and they were so well organized that felt at times they were playing six at the back. But we commented commented on it during the game that when Troy Parrot had come on, he was everywhere. So one minute he was picking it up on the left, the next he was picking it up on the right. He was in that sort of floating role and was desperate to get on the ball. He didn't just come on and wait for someone else to do something and stand on the shoulder of the final defender and hope a ball will bobble his way. He was the one who was trying to make something happen. He was trying to create from deep and playing a full season of first team football of men's football in league one where I'm sure it's pretty grim at times uh, it has to stand to him it absolutely has to stand to him and he's like a, a, quite a few of these players we don't know what's going to happen over the course of the summer he'll go back to Tottenham he'll go into pre-season training there's always the chance that Antonio Conte looks at him and thinks wow I haven't seen much of this guy before let's keep him here and Harry Kane does move on and you're second or third choice I think it's unlikely considering you know, Antonio Conte wants to spend a lot of money during the summer uh, but maybe next season he's a return back to the championship he already had some time there and he just keeps moving up those levels like, he doesn't need to be the next Robbie Keane we all wish he was the next Robbie Keane but maybe it's just going to be a slower process than, than we thought for Troy Parrott but last night felt like a, a gigantic step forward for him and, and hopefully take some confidence from that for the rest of the season Is, is um, Jason not now ahead of Malumbi? when it comes to selection for the first team and first choice to try and change a game? Oh, I think he's well ahead of Malumbi at, at this stage. Uh, like, you know, Malumbi didn't really get a look in over the last couple of matches and Knight offers more in an attacking role. If you're looking at winners and losers from last night, which often in friendlies you are in terms of who can force their way into the eleven, I, I think 
Jason Knight was probably a bit of a winner in terms of Will Keane didn't take his opportunity. So if Anamina isn't fit, you'd expect for the biggest matches they'll return to Callum Robinson leading the line. And Jason Knight, even though he didn't have his best game on Saturday, probably offers more in that he can link up with the midfield playing just behind with uh, Shidozi Ogbena. Uh, so I think absolutely Knight is, if not in the 11, he's next in line uh, for one of those roles. So uh, the fact that Malumbi hasn't hasn't seen much game time probably shows that he's fallen down the pecking order a little bit. The other big winner from last night was Josh Cullen. Didn't play a minute, but neither Brown or Howerhan really took the opportunity. And maybe it was unfair in them in that you know, Howerhan isn't an exact replica of Josh Cullen. He always wants to do a, a little bit more and get to a bit more of an advanced position. And maybe that partnership in the middle of midfield just doesn't work. Maybe Howerhan would love to be in there alongside Josh Cullen and see what would happen then. But it does feel as though he is the one guy in that Irish team right now that, that is sort of irreplaceable. Like we've Connor Coventry in the 21s and playing exceptionally well with the 21s, who is having a full season with MK Dons as well. Maybe he can make that step up in June or in the games that come in September, October. But everywhere else, you've got options. You've got that bit of depth, you know, real depth, where actually there's not a great difference between one player or another player. But Cullen seems to hold the whole thing together right now. And if he's not there, you wonder who can do that job. Yeah, the other thing is that the under-21s won in Sweden to really reignite their possibility of qualifying for a major tournament. Um, it was a, a 2-0 win. Interesting mix of types of goals and the performance is certainly winning rave reviews. It's um, As you say, they were, they were missing a bunch of players who were playing with the seniors and also a bunch of players who were injured. So all of a sudden it looks like that next generation, we have strength and depth coming through. Whether or not any of them are actually going to end up playing for the first team who knows? But if you look back, somebody was also making the point that um, I think it might have been Brendan O'Brien in the examiner that five of Stephen Kenny's under 21s are now playing with some regularity for the senior team. And if we were to get another five to come through over the next two to four years, then all of a sudden that dearth of, uh, of players we had making it the step up to senior international level, that period would be over and we would be able to look forward to the future with some hope. Well, I think we are because I think the expectation is that Ireland should always qualify for a European Championship with the amount of teams to get through to it. And that's what I mean about depth, that I think when you look at you know rugby depth charts, as we discovered, yes, it's all very well been able to name four or five players in the same position, but is there actually any depth behind Ty Furlong? We know who's next in line, but there's a big step down. We're actually, with Ireland, and maybe it's not the most positive thing, there's not a big step down in almost every position. And in fact... In the next two years, I think the centre-back position is going to be fascinating. A back three of Nathan Collins, Darrow Shane, Andrew Bamadele, which could have happened last night if Bamadele was fit. That's bloody exciting to see those three next in line behind Coleman, Duffy and Egan. And maybe the three of them don't get there over the next two years. Maybe Egan, Coleman, Duffy, one or two of them are still first-choice selections. But all three of those players in their late teens, early 20s, look primed for big, big careers. Then you got Jimmy Dunn coming through after that. With Joel Bagan from the 21s last night at Cardiff, who's having a fine season, who maybe is an option out on the left-hand side. So there's a lot of good young players coming through. And like, for the 21s to qualify would be a ridiculous achievement. They're still going to have to go through a playoff in all likelihood. And they have three games in June as well. So you know, I, I'm sure there'll be conversations about it, but I can't imagine a situation where... Stephen Kenny is releasing players back to the 21s Not to at this stage, no. get them to qualify yeah. for a tournament. But they've got three games, but Italy and Sweden, who are the top two, still have to play each other as well. So 
if Ireland can go and win the two other games before they have to play Italy in the final match, you know, it should be enough to get them to a playoff at least. Okay. Uh, oh, and I presume around the bars of Windsor Park last night, the Republic of Ireland match was uh, was in every pub. You got to see it. Of course. Of course. I mean, uh, and if it wasn't on when Troy Paris uh, came came on to, to the roars of his home crowd, I think uh, every television in the land here just... Uh, just came on to, to see what they were doing down south. I guess also as well, Northern Ireland are getting beat by Hungary, so who wants to watch that? Yeah, fair enough. Um, how excited are you now to get, Nathan, when uh, Ireland beat Lithuania in the 97th minute with a, a winner? How excited are you allowed as a, as a commentator? I think, I think you know, it's, it's right up there with uh, how you'd imagine qualifying for a World Cup would be, Jer. Isn't it right? Yeah, we uh, we did bring you live an exclusive commentary of Ireland Lithuania and off the ball last night with Nathan and Stewie Byrne and commentary. Safe to say the lads got a bit excited with that late late Troy Parrot winner. Powerhands cross is a dangerous one. It's hanging there. Comes out to the edge of the area. Falls for Parrot. Oh! Troy Parrot <laughs> in the 96th minute from 25 yards out. It's like Stephen Gerrard in the cup final. That's sort of finish from Troy Parrott to steal a victory and to send the Aviva Stadium absolutely wild. Just like Stephen Gerrard in the cup final. It was a very similar finish to Stephen Gerrard in the cup final. I would have said Stephen G's final uh, goal in the cup final went straight in the corner, did it not? In my head it was a low drilled volley. Okay, that was it. They were exactly the same. Well, I didn't say it was exactly the same. <laughs> ah, look, it was excellent. You know, it's radio. It's radio. You're trying to describe to people what happened. <laughs> Just what, look at Stephen Gerrard's goal. What do you want me to say? Stephen Gerrard's goal is basically from like the halfway between. Oh, the, it, the <laughs> when you do look back at Stephen Gerrard's goal, the more you look back at it, the more impressive it is. It's about 40 yards out. It's unbelievable. It is absolutely. That's the last kick of the game. It is absolutely unbelievable. Oh, the last kick of the game. I will give you the, the um, similarities. <laughs> they were both the last kick of the game. It's kind of where it ends. But look, fair play to you, Nathan. You did, you did, you did well. Um, it was difficult. Uh, well, it was Stewie. Stewie lost his mind a little bit more than I did. <laughs> that was the biggest roar. That was the biggest roar you heard. Uh, again, there's something. There's always something brilliant to say about goals that every, like people are leaving. People have thought not. It's not even injury time anymore. The referees. The next time the ball goes out of play. It's over. It's done. Nil, nil. On we go. But uh, for those who stuck around, which I think was almost everybody, we should uh, do a hall of shame of people who left early. Got to beat that traffic. There definitely, definitely has been like a couple of commentaries, Nathan, you'll remember better, where the sound has just gone momentarily because of the noise of the commentary, I think. Oh, well, Shane Long's goal. Shane Long's goal, the big yeah, moment where Stephen Hunt kicks the uh, machine we use, the ISDM machine you use, uh, out of its place and uh, we just went off air rather than uh, luxuriating in the moment. I thought it was just a pure sound because I thought there was something about Robbie Brady's goal as well. I was going to say that you could put, you could put uh, Troy Parrott scoring a goal in a friendly against Lithuania mm-hmm. into that company with those two goals yeah. after last night. But, uh, like it's, it's, it is the best outcome from a friendly is that if you're going to win it make sure a kid gets an incredible moment that may actually be a real kickstart for him because Andorra was obviously a huge moment for his Ireland career but this is different as I say in front of his home, home crowd which I'm sure was cheering on every, every kick of the ball he had last night like this feels like I mean we won't know for a while but it feels like a, another potential arrival for Troy Paris I think you're right as well it comes off the back of uh period of sustained form and appearances 
in senior club football and you know because at that stage I think he probably had more minutes really in, in senior competitive well, it wasn't even a competitive game but you know it was kind of fringy how often he was playing for Ireland versus how often he was playing at that stage for Spurs and he's got a lot of game time now so uh, he is beginning to deliver on his promise right the reason that you're in Belfast Owen is because obviously the uh, Euro 2028 bid is going to see games in these islands um, there is a suggestion that some will be in the south some will be in the north there might not be any in the north because there might not be a stadium for it but we did send you to the streets of Belfast to gauge the feeling ahead of the joint Ireland-UK bid for Euro 2028 if it was to happen Belfast should be integral to the bid absolutely yeah. unbelievable I can't wait for the Gawa to absolutely travel all over the Euros hopefully we qualify excitement absolute excitement couldn't be better for the all the nations the five countries bringing people from all around Europe to uh, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and Ireland. Absolutely fantastic. Sharing the light, the positivity is coming out of the, in particular our country here and uh, North and South. Brilliant. I think it's a brilliant idea um, for Northern Ireland, obviously, since Euros have been real hype uh, around the city, around the national team. And I think to host potentially a, a massive tournament here in Belfast, that would be amazing for the city and amazing for the local game as well. To me, to be unforgivable if I didn't get at least one match without having to go anywhere else, bar Windsor Park. Okay, I don't only hold 18,500, but that's a flipping good ground, so it is like. That's a good ground, but there you are. It's, we are where we are. To be honest with you, should have built this for a 30,000 stadium when they were doing it. So it is, because this is the home of football in Northern Ireland, so this is where it should really be played. I know this stadium was built a number of years ago with a joint bid, with, in particular with Linfield and Northern Ireland. Speaking of some Linfield fans now who follow it, they're sorry they've done that because they find Windsor's now not appealing to them as a football club, sorry, as a football stadium, whereas if it had been their own purpose-built national stadium that could incorporate all the sports of the Ireland, would have been far better, I think, would have been used as one big, big venue. But, of course, it wasn't to happen. We could have had Ulster Rugby, we could have had the, the, the GAA, and we could have had the football all in one place. And do you think you'll be able to, to have games here? Yeah, of course, of course. If, look at that stadium over there, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's class. Great idea, yes, if we can hold uh, matches here in Belfast, it'd be great, yep. Just have to make that bigger. <laughs> build up the cup and get 30,000 in here, no problem, yep. Is there a better chance of that happening than them redeveloping casement in time? Yes, I would think we should make Windsor bigger, yeah. get more fans in. And we'll certainly fill it all right. Confident that it'll happen for the UK and Ireland. Whether or not we have it in Belfast is a different story. Um, I'm hoping that having Stacey Super Cup here, that UEFA might give us dispensation to have it at Windsor Park. Politically, I don't know if I would go ahead at Casement. The first thing I thought of is we've nowhere to host. So if we're going to host them, it would only have to be down in Dublin um, because we don't have stadiums big enough unless they, they get the works in Casement Park sorted out and it becomes more of a national stadium. It's the only way around it, I would say. Well, I don't think there's much chance with uh, the size of the stadium at Winter Park. It's out of question. It's just a matter whether or not Casement Park will be built in time or not. If not, there's not going to be no chance of it coming over here. Would you be confident that they can get that done in time? I very much doubt it. What are the confidence levels around Casement Park getting done any time soon? Well, you, first of all, you have to have an executive. And uh, what we've got was, uh, if I remember correctly, the, um, the Royal Victoria Hospital was built on a lunatic asylum. And now they seem to have moved all the lunatics to Stormont. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, we'll never get it. I don't think there'd be any problem Northern Ireland playing at casement um, for the vast majority of people. But 
we still live in, in Northern Ireland at the moment and I think there's a divisive election coming up which won't help things but you know another eight years down the line or six years down the line or whatever it is you know who's to say that we don't play a game at Casement Park the only chance here would be if and it's a big if Casement Park has ever been redeveloped this has been going on for 10 flipping years the only the only places on, on the island of Ireland that I know of would be obviously Aviva Stadium in Dublin and Croke Park in Dublin but if, if, if the IFA up, up here was to sort of contribute money or contribute organisation it wouldn't be fair if we didn't get some sort of match The casement thing in my opinion I've watched that quite closely over the years they'll need to it'll be 2058 by the time they get any decision made on that one to be honest but hopefully they do because it looks like a fabulous project GAA is not my sport but in, in, in the interest of fairness I think it needs to be redeveloped because it, it's been land I used to drive a bus up and down the Falls Road out of past Kessner Park all the time but now it's sort of it's, it's, it's just a wasteland really sure maybe in six years never we're here again we might hear government and this is Northern Ireland things take an awful long time Wow, okay, so a lot of realism there from the fans outside Windsor Park. The Gawa, I think they refer to themselves there in the middle of that own. Yeah, that's it, the, the green and white army, isn't it? That's, uh, that's what I assume. Uh, unless, I'm, uh, unless I'm completely missing the, the, the point there, but yeah, like, you're right, that's, that's a real dose of realism. I think uh, kind of asking them the, the question was generally their excitement levels around the Euros, if it's going to happen, and the, the constant refrain there, as you heard, was, well, can they get casement done? So I think there is a lot of people who think that the stadium behind me is the very thing that links the possibility of having the Euros coming to Belfast. There are, obviously, a couple of voices in there who you can kind of tell from the undercurrent of their tone. You can probably tell from my accent as well uh, what they were going to say or what they weren't going to say. You can tell from the undercurrent of their tone that there would be an issue playing uh, football games in Casement Park. They don't want the Gawa uh, playing in Casement Park. And, and I think it's fair to say that about some of the, the undertones that you would get from people and uh, some of the people who perhaps didn't talk to me outside uh, outside the stadium last night as well. I would say that there might be a, a bit of conversations that need to happen with regards to actually getting everybody on board and getting everybody into the stadium where to host uh, games in 2028. Alright, it's 7.56 this morning. You're watching OTBAM. We're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. We're going to have more about an All-Ireland uh, All-Ireland All-Ireland football team. Um, we're going to hear from Vinnie Perth around about 10 past 8. His assessment of where we are after the two friendlies. Sports pages and uh, John Duggan. And then we're going to talk about the football pod, the latest episode with uh, James O'Donoghue and Paddy Andrews um, and then we're going to hear from um, a few other people involved after 9 o'clock with Owen in Belfast and then more reaction from last night as well John Finucane and Joe Brawley around about uh, 10 to 9 and 9 o'clock this morning now um, the next one is about an All-Ireland how do you, how do you catch this when you're standing outside uh, watching you know watching fans go in to watch their team and you're like we're going to take your team off you. Uh, so how do you how do you feel about us coming and stealing your team? What you do, Ger, is you ask a few questions first and then you make a decision whether or not you want to ask the ridiculous one at the end. So, let's play it. Yeah. No, no. I would never support a Northern Ireland team. Quite, quite frankly, I just wouldn't do it. Simply because I've supported Northern Ireland all my life. I remember, my earliest memory is, whenever England won the World Cup in 1966, at the, at the old Windsor Park, and Bobby Moore coming round with a cup. That's, that's my earliest memory. Then, of course, you get married, family comes along, and had, Northern Ireland had to go to the side until I got a bit older. I follow him everywhere. I go everywhere. I've been to Russia, Israel, Azerbaijan, 
you name it, I've been there. And I'm off to hopefully Kosovo this year and Greece. That's that, that's my plans. Both are trying to pull two different two different ways, and and I think our talent is such that we would be a better organize a better team as a, a one one island team. But um, the heart and the soul of a Northern Ireland team would always be with us, and I don't think I don't think that is it's certainly not an exception an acceptance for me. From a personal perspective, I don't I don't like it. I think. Um, both teams are doing amazingly well at the minute um, and I think that's brilliant for both uh, both countries um, for us I struggle to see how some of our guys might fit into an All-Ireland team and I think that limits opportunity at the elite level so personally I'd love to see it stay the way it is and two years ago we went down and played the Republic 0-0 and it was a brilliant game all the fans loved it both teams loved it I think it just keep it the way it is Again, it's because I'm a Belfast man everything would have to be in Dublin <laughs> Which I wouldn't want. <laughs> like, I'm sorry if it sounds awful to you. I'm not trying to be awful. I've always supported Northern Ireland. That's a team I will always support. I would not support a Northern Ireland team. Nothing for any sectarian reasons. Just the fact is, I'm a Belfast man. I honestly don't think it would ever happen because there'd be too many hardliners on both sides that wouldn't want it to happen. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a really... It's a, it's a hard one to answer. It's certainly not the case amongst Northern Ireland fans. And I'm sure it's not the case amongst Ireland fans either. It's Why would you? Do you want a Welsh and Scottish team combined? Would you want an English team? No, there's a, it's, it's two different football associations. It always has been. And it's not an orange and green thing. It's not. It's just purely football terms because you just can't stop supporting one particular team and then move to another. It, 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 in my opinion, it wouldn't work. And the two of them maybe should, someday, I hope, could be amalgamated under yeah. one big, like the way the Ireland rugby has... But whether that's down the line or not, I don't know. What the big problem is, since a sort of since a Good Friday Agreement came in, where the, the island of Ireland was stated, a player who was born anywhere in Ireland can play for either Republic or play for Northern Ireland. I personally think, and, I, and I'm not being sort of sectarian here. I personally think that's wrong. If you're born down south, you play for Republic. If you're born in Northern Ireland. You play for the Northern Ireland team. See, a lot of the young lads are coming up through the up through the Northern Ireland works, the under twenty ones, under seventeens, blah blah blah. Now at the last minute, they're they're deserting the ship, shall we say, and going to play for the Republic. I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. Personally, for me, no. Um, if you look into the sort of the history of it, and the Irish FA in Belfast was the sort of the host of the original Ireland football team, you know. Um, I think the status quo is fine, how it is, you know, as, as long as Ireland's still two separate countries, absolutely, I, I would prefer to see the two separate teams together. Like we've shown in the Euros, um, there's many videos going around Facebook of Republic and Northern Ireland fans singing and dancing in France, uh, loving their time, so I don't understand why, you know, we can have success in both parts of the country, I'm sure. I can't understand, the rugby seems to work, you know, with the, hockey. and the hockey, yeah. you know, they, they, and, and it works, you know what I mean? But I suppose we hear been the trouble's been so bad for fifty years, and you, you know that yourself. It's it's just Don't orange and green, colours, and red and blue, or green and orange. That's the way it that's works. What, that's what it works down to, really. Basically, not being unpolitically correct or whatever, but that's what it boils down to: the green and orange, and the red and the blue, and they'll never the twain shall meet, and it's just horrible. Uh, <laughs> ironically, he's wearing a, a blue coat with an orange lining. To the to the game, I, uh, very thoughtful stuff there, Owen. Really, um, and you know, it, it is it is uh, it is the horns of a, dile- a dilemma. Say, say there was to be United Ireland, do we keep the Northern Ireland football team and allow people who 
follow that team and identify as as British within a United Ireland to continue to play or is it like no sorry that's just it now uh, that, that moment has passed and that team gets written out of history yeah like I think that's the, the interesting perspective for, on it is that it would be our team sorry it would be the team of the South that they would see as being the team and it is that team subsuming the the Northern Ireland team is, is what their view on it would be as opposed to two bodies coming together to create one one new body uh, which may have to be the way it actually uh, turns out to keep everybody happy but it is interesting there when you're telling people some people bring it up themselves that uh, I mean you don't even need to push them there they want to bring up the whole rugby team themselves and, and that being an example for, for how things should operate and then possibly more to the point certainly around facilities in this part of the world a lot of people bring up the idea that they should have built a multi-purpose stadium instead of redeveloping Ravenhill and Windsor, as you heard earlier on in the other piece. And maybe there's a lesson for, for other countries and other sporting bodies there as well. That's how you get stuff done. You try and bring everybody on board and you try and give them one good facility as opposed to trying to build three modernised, brilliant facilities into one city when things are so tough to keep everybody happy in. There's a big lesson there for facilities around the rest of the Republic of Ireland as well. Oh, and we're going to let you go. We're going to hear from you a little bit later on as well. Uh, stay safe outside casement there. Three minutes past eight this morning. Nathan, I don't know if you want to weigh in on uh, the question of a United Ireland football team. Well, uh, at the moment, obviously, players who are born in Northern Ireland who want to play for the Republic of Ireland can do. Uh, so any player who was born in Northern Ireland who wants to uh, play for Ireland you know the Good Friday Agreement allows that I think the politics will dictate and football will follow afterwards and as you heard from the people Owen spoke to maybe it was the fact that they were willing to speak to Owen that they were a bit more in the middle around these things and didn't want to be on camera with more extremist views there's a lot of people in Belfast who just like their football and have a, a great history of following Northern Ireland from back in George Best times right the way through to Euro 2016 and all the fun they had over in France who I think, as they rightly point out, if there was a 32-county Irish football team, would end up playing their games in Dublin, and that football is gone from them, and that history is gone from them. And we can say, well, we'll play one game up in Belfast and one game in Dublin. We know what will happen. The games will be in Dublin. It'll be the bigger stadium. It'll be the better facilities. And that those football supporters will be lost. And I'd imagine in the grander scheme of the conversations that are happening, they won't really be an afterthought. So I understand completely that there will be a lot of reservations from Northern Ireland football fans about seeing their team massively diluted. Okay, we're going to speak with uh, Vinnie Perth in just a little while about the Republic of Ireland's uh, two friendlies. You did have a full late night League of Ireland uh, international special last night. What was the general tenor of, of the stuff that people were saying? Yeah, it was relatively positive. Uh, there was nobody throwing toys out of the pram that after 96 minutes were still scoreless at home against Lithuania. And remember, after 89 minutes, I'm not sure Ireland had had a shot on target if you take away the four offside goals that were disallowed. And I think in the stats, they won't count because obviously they were offside and certainly three of them were very straightforward decisions. Maybe the Howard one you could argue against, but I think uh, there was somebody standing in front of the goalkeeper. So a, a bit of frustration at times that in the midfield in particular, I think that Howard and Brown didn't take their opportunities. Like Part of me did wonder last night that like, the aim for Stephen Kenny was betting players into the system. So do you need to play three at the back against Lithuania? Maybe he's going to play three at the back against everybody, uh, regardless of their quality. But last night it did feel they could have taken somebody out from the back three and gone with another attacking player, somebody more creative in midfield. But obviously the main aim was getting Nathan Collins and Darrow Shea into a back three and understanding that system. And Ryan Manning in left wing back and knowing exactly what 
the different roles are. And maybe looking at the midfield and Howard and Brown and thinking, these are two experienced players. I know what they can do. They'll fit in where I need them. It, it was quite repetitive was the one frustration that it, it was just Howard and Howard and Brown's job felt to be just get the ball to Doherty and Manning and cross it in and cross it in. And like we had a dozen corner kicks. We had twice that in terms of crosses. And half of them came off a defender's arse and didn't get past the first man. And there was nobody trying something different. There was nobody dropping a little bit deeper against a team that had this unbelievably low block. We just who, sat back. Who, we tried to pick a pass through them. And, who, and who maybe that player that? isn't there. I was going to ask, who is that Callum Robinson... Robinson or Ogbené maybe it's not Ogbené's strength maybe it's the pace and the power and trying to get him behind which just wasn't there I actually thought Ogbené did quite well at times in in trying to do something different but like there was no space in behind at all to make a run and Robinson didn't have a good game he took a couple of wild shots in the first half he's the one who feel has that pass that can unlock a defence they weren't helped by the fact that like, Will Keane had a nightmare an absolute nightmare you could tell whether it was the occasion whether it's just that's just his level like his basic control let him down three, four times in the first half and good Irish moves broke down when the ball came to him. So I'm not sure uh, whether he'll get too many more opportunities. But that maybe where his Troy Parrott comes in. I know Stephen Kelly said in the post-match press conference that Parrott sees himself as a number nine and he feels that that's probably where he'll end up. But maybe Parrott can play in a role, in a number 10 role, where he played at times with the 21s just off a striker and do something to unlock a team because that's the player we're missing right now that's the player in a slightly more advanced role when a team does sit right back and you're going to face them like Armenia were beaten 9-0 last night by Norway and Armenia and Ireland's group in the Nations League so you expect they're going to be coming to Dublin thinking we're going to sit back as far as we can and make sure that doesn't happen again who is that guy that can actually pick apart a side that has that killer ball Am I all right? Jason Knight is, is, is Jason Knight because he just dropped the shoulder at one stage and went past somebody last night and I was like wow this is great Possibly, possibly. I don't think we've seen it quite enough from Jason Knight as of yet. And that's the thing. One or two changes, like a Cullen maybe brings Ireland a bit deeper. He's the one who gets the guy to make the killer pass into a better position at the right time. And you could tell last night, half a dozen times in the first half, centre-backs telling Alan Brown to basically go away. Like There's no need for you to drop back here and take the ball off John Egan. John Egan can bring the ball 20 yards into their half and nobody's going to touch him. But they were trying to do something different and get the midfielders on the ball earlier. But we don't have that world-class talent right now who... No. And you just hope one of those players, one of those can develop into that because, listen, we're six saying it. One player at that level just makes... It does, it does transform Garth things. Garth Bale's performance last Thursday. And uh, Garth Bale is at a level of a player that we may never get to again. But like it was like watching a 10-year-old playing against six-year-olds, even at international level, at how he could change the game. <laughs> even at international level, uh, uh, for somebody who hasn't played, hasn't kicked the ball in anger in a long time at this stage. Uh, our group in the Nations League is obviously includes Ukraine. It's Ukraine, Scotland and Armenia, as you've said. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the story is, whether or not games will go ahead. And if they do go ahead, what, what kind of a situation is going to happen? If Let's assume those games don't happen. It's a tricky enough group with Scotland in it because Scotland are, you would say, a much better team than Ireland at the moment. Yeah, they've got a spine of Premier League players. Like You even look at that midfield of John McGinn and Scott McTominay. Like McGinn just seems to be getting better all the time. Even they brought in Shea Adams, who feels like an Irish-style striker, you know, plays in the Premier League for Southampton, doesn't score a huge amount of goals, but he still scores a lot more goals than any other Irish player. I think he's seven this season. 
and you know, we're struggling to get an Irish player to get two Premier League goals. So, yeah, Scotland have quality. They have Robertson, they have Tierney. They have a better squad right now than Ireland and certainly a far better squad than we met in the qualifying campaign under Martin O'Neill uh, when you know we went to Scotland and we were beaten. So Scotland are going to be very difficult. Obviously, we just need to wait and see what happens with Ukraine and Armenia. Like losing 9-0 in international football means that they could well be out of their depth in Group B. You expect that that game will definitely happen. But the Nations League, uh, I, I feel I feel Sheehan and Kilban, the confusion that they sowed in the Irish public uh, with their explainer a couple of years ago has almost devalued the Nations League. Uh, I'll say it again. This tournament is maybe the most important one. If the Republic of Ireland win this Nations League group, Jer. Stephen Kenny will be in charge for the World Cup campaign in 2026. Uh, you can nail me to that one. That is how important this is. The benefits of winning this group are so great that I think it would get Stephen Kenny a new contract again because you're guaranteed a World Cup pl- a playoff for the Euros at the very least. Absolutely guaranteed. Uh, you would feel that the momentum you have from winning the group would mean that you're probably going to qualify for the Euros anyways. But also, you get promoted to League A you're going to be playing some of the best teams in Europe. You're going to be bringing the best teams to Europe to a packed Aviva Stadium. You're going to be selling even more season tickets. The financial side, which is obviously important for the FAI, uh, the reward of that would be absolutely huge. So yeah, these be- games for our- Stephen Kenny are as big as anything he's faced so Our far. best hope would be that Scotland don't take it seriously because they do well at the... You know, like, well, you would make Scotland Well, well there's a possibility. There's like, a possibility. So... Uh, if Ukraine can play games that Scotland play Ukraine on that first weekend on the 4th of June and Ireland then play Armenia and then they have to play Scotland or Ukraine and both of those sides have been focusing on World Cup playoffs and they've put all their emotional intensity into that and when Ireland have to face Scotland there's not quite as much there but there's four games in the space of 10 days it's pretty much unheard of in international football if they were to all go ahead so you're looking for a little bit of depth in squad and again I think Ireland do have that depth of doesn't really make a huge difference in terms of which three centre-backs it is, which three attackers well, you say that now. Is, which goalkeeper it is. You say that now, but we have seen that, you know, when COVID ripped through the squad, the strength and depth was not as great as we thought. It, things have improved, definitely. And, well, uh, things have, and I think COVID has, has added to that strength and depth as well, that actually, actually a lot of those yeah. players have ended up getting a lot of games. But we're not, getting, so. we're not getting either Romelu back for those games. like that. You I know. think you'd have to say it's highly unlikely. Yeah, and, and so, and even if they were back, they would just be back, like, by the skin of their teeth so I don't know maybe, maybe you get Ida back I'm not sure um, but like it would be difficult for them to find form and then all of a sudden if anybody else starts to get injured Will Keane might start two of those games you know um, Jeez, he'd want to be a lot better than he was last night well, that's the thing it's all of a sudden you know we're saying oh we've got strength in depth but actually as your depth well I think points, I, I think the obvious thing there is you play Robinson as the number nine which he's done a couple of times which I think has worked because then in the two positions behind Robinson you do have a lot of options whether it's Parrot Knight Ogbene uh, several other guys who can come in maybe Mark Sykes starts to get an opportunity but other, like if we have injuries, other teams will have injuries. Scotland will have injuries. Nobody is going to come into these games at full strength for, for every match. But uh, they'll probably need to get it sorted out relatively soon. I'm sure everyone will be patient uh, with what happens okay. with Ukraine. But it's hard to see Ireland playing Scotland and Ukraine because the priority for them is obviously they need to get the World Cup playoff sorted. OK. Nathan, good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, Jared. If you wanted to uh, listen back to the immediate post-match reaction last night on LOI Late Night, uh, you can get it on Twitter Spaces. We'll put the podcast up on our football feed in just a couple of minutes' time as well. We do understand that there are still issues with some of the OTB podcast feeds. It would be a massive help to us 
if you would slide into our DMs and tell us uh, what ones you're experiencing some issues with. So if, for example, you're not getting your OTB football feed or your OTB rugby feed and you're using Pocket Casts or you're using Podbean or one of those other uh, podcast app providers, then it'd be great for us to know that because we can make contact with them and tell them to uh, get the finger out and fix it on their side. All of our stuff is actually working properly. And that's why it's kind of frustrating from our perspective that um, this hasn't ended up working as smoothly as we hope but all of the problems we had before Christmas have been solved so the podcasts are there they're right there for you you can go and get them I promise you um, but it would be massively helpful for us we put a, a box up on, uh, on one of our Instagram stories as well if you can fill in any details on that even um, what uh, type of phone you're using whether or not it's Android or Apple that would be a huge help to us and sincere apologies sincere apologies on our behalf about any of the issues you might have had because uh, we know that we're interrupting your patterns and people don't like that. So anyway, a reminder, OTBIM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to go back to Belfast before nine o'clock um, uh, and we're going to talk football next with Vinnie Perth. OTB AM. Now, to go back to last night's football, I'm delighted to say we've got Vinnie Perth with us. Vinnie, good morning to you. How are you? Morning. How's things? I'm going to start with... Um, uh, a quote from Napoleon ability is of little value without opportunity I'd rather my generals be lucky than able nothing like a little bit of luck at the end of the game to go the way of the Ireland manager who you know has fair to say wasn't particularly lucky in the uh, first 10 games of his reign but um, you know I, I think he's going to be pretty happy with how things finished last night I don't know I've always I always felt he was a lucky uh, a lucky general I think you have to be but there's no doubt in the first sort of Part of his reign, he wasn't lucky, but uh, um, we go back to a lot of stories over the years where he had a fair slice of luck, and you need that to get to the highest level. But no, there's no doubt that at the start of this campaign, we weren't lucky. So um, I was shocked how much injury time was played. And I think if that was a game um, of competitive nature, we would have heard the opposition really complain about it because I think I think it was near seven minutes when, when the goal was scored in a friendly nil all friendly normally the board goes up and it's two minutes so it was um, and, and believe it or not I think it could be a big moment as well little moments like that where uh, Troy obviously getting that brilliant goal and you could tell um, what's the word for that togetherness around the squad the way they celebrated it uh, in terms of players off the bench Seamus uh, Duffy went to congratulate him so you could tell it meant a lot and um, you could tell there's a, there's a building of a squad there and a team and um, uh, it was a really good moment for them last night. Nathan made the point that 10 minutes after the full-time whistle, there was still a massive amount of fans behind the goal as well. And look, we, we're trying to talk about a, a friendly against Lithuania. And at the same time, I, I think you're right. I think that there is, there's more to these little bits when you're trying to build a culture and you're trying to build a sense of identity. And what that identity of the team is, it, it's definitely a team that doesn't give up. It's a team that plays to the end. And it's also a team that has this very close link with the fans and the manager is a very close link with the fans as well and it's been a while since we've had that yeah I think um, um, the public relations um, and I don't like using that word because I don't, I don't put that on Stephen's head but the public relations um, a lot of people and politicians can, can learn a lot from the way Stephen has managed himself he's, he's come across as somebody who's man of the people, a football person and um, they've really got behind this team there's no doubt about that so um, last night was just another moment in that I think uh, there's no doubt there's a team ethic development all good teams have to have that um, or else be 
be that good that it doesn't really matter that a world class player can score a goal for you at different stages. So um, we're gonna we I, I would have said on this show over the, the last couple of years about spoke about club teams like Wales the way at the Euros they, they created this sort of um, yes they had Gareth Bale for the big moments but it was almost like a club culture and from the outside looking in I see that developing within the Irish squad um, and once you have that I think you'll go a long way in, in international football so all of them things seem to be working well together so for, again as I said small small win last night in the sense of what was at stake and um, but a bit, these little moments are huge. They're huge in, in terms of... Um, it's only the coaches and the managers, really, that look back to these moments in league campaigns when someone scores a, a goal. I remember going back years in 2014, uh, and we were nil all in Athlone and 93rd minute, one of our players dived and Richie Tell scores a penalty. And we win the league. For me, that was a huge moment. For everyone else, it means nothing. But that's that's what football is all about. These little moments, and last night was was one of them that hopefully are are part of bigger success down the road. When you're talking about the Welsh example, what are the signs you're seeing about this Ireland squad that remind you of that kind of sense of them being more club than international at the moment? Um, I think that I think unity. Um, uh, you, I think now, particularly uh, a coach who's worked around, even in Ireland in, in League of Ireland, the 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 scrutiny of of what you do on a daily basis in a club is huge. And I obviously had that scrutiny at a different level for different reasons uh, at my last club. But I think you're getting such an insight into what players are thinking now because of social media, because of uh, whether it's the FAI media team putting up training videos, etc. And you really get you really get the, the sense that there's a, there's a unity about this team, there's a togetherness, there's... Um, you know, you can see Duffy, um, Coleman, these people, real sort of strong characters in the dressing room. And you can just see, as I said, um, the joy the players had for Troy Parrott last night. Not just the celebration. Celebrations look after themselves. You leave the stadium last minute goal. But it was actually when the cameras continued to roll and you see... Um, Callum Robinson came over to him. Different people going towards yeah. him. I think that was... Uh, I think... It's little things like that where you can you can see that development. You look at someone like Chidozi, um, you can tell he's infectious the way the players speak about him. Um, and modern day players don't have to do that now anymore. They don't have to throw it away. They can they can give you the sort of um, uh, boring answers that you, you you won't like in terms of radio contact. But they don't seem to do that around this squad, and, and it's a real sense of a team developing there. Yeah, and, and so they, they set out the friendly against Belgium. Okay, you'd expect that. But then everybody knew Belgium weren't going to bring their superstars and they still sold that out. And then there's a huge crowd last night for a game against Lithuania. And despite the fact that we can't score for 96 minutes, there's this sense of positivity around the team. It's amazing how quickly things can change in football. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, um, I, I think we need to be careful as well. I, I, I mean... You, you listen. I, I, I haven't listened to yourself and, and Johnny discussion yesterday morning, and you're like, no, it's not all. It's not all rosy in the garden either. Just areas of improvement. Last night was uh, an area of concern in terms of uh, a weaker team. Um, and so, if, if you if you put this into a, a group context, when we play the European Championship qualifier or World Cup qualifier, we play a seeded team. Uh, either first or second in an international window. 
And that second team that's below us in the seeding, we've got to do better against. And I still think that's an area of improvement for this team. Um, we were very lucky ultimately to win the game last night, uh, that last minute goal. So, so that's an area of concern. Um, I know there were some changes, but um, we, we've got to do them things better. So th- there's loads of improvement. There's loads of areas that get better. Um, I, 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 I know we say that the, the squad is developing in the sense of uh, strength and depth, but there's a lot of players very similar. And um, I'd have some questions on last night. Could we have done things better? Well, whether that was shape or whether that was personnel. Let's get into them then. We, we've spoken, I'd say, historically uh, over the last couple of years, a good bit, Vinny, with you specifically about the number 10 role. We don't seem to have anybody at the moment who's particularly comfortable. And was that the main issue last night? That there wasn't actually anybody who was doing something slightly different? Yes and no. I think... Um, I, I would question, and uh, it's difficult. It's difficult for me in terms of how close I am to people within the setup to be critical. I would question, and it is so difficult if you've got a style of play, the three, four, two, one, whatever different variants of that. That's Ireland's style now. We've developed into that, and I think that works against a lot of the top nations. Where I'm not personally in favour of that system is when you play against a team that's going to sit in. You've got, for example, you've got Matt Doherty who gives you the width out wide, but and and at different stages you've may, maybe should always be running into the wide area. The difference in it is slightly different system, whether that be some variant of a four-three-three. Is if Matt Doherty was playing fullback and he had an out-and-out winger ahead of him, you'd have two and you'd create two be ones in the wide area against teams that sit in. So I think the shape against these teams is something. Personally, I'd be a bit disappointed last night that. In, in that, because it was a friendly, in that flip over between a top nation being Sweden and then going to a team that we should be with 78% possession in the first half, didn't create an awful lot. People are saying we'd four goals ruled out for offside, but they were offside and you wouldn't get them in a, in a game, particularly if VAR was in. So um, that's a concern. I think we the, the number 10 position, I think Will Keane, I've seen him at Wigan, I've gone and seen him live there. He's and people say, well, it's League One. They're about to be promoted, hopefully, to the Championship. I think that's good for Irish football at them and rather to get promoted. Um, but he's an outstanding number 10. Didn't really play. He's not an out-and-out centre-forward for me. So um, I, I wonder, could we have changed the shape up a little bit last night uh, against a lesser nation and maybe tried something different? We'd nothing to lose. Um or, or else, like the management are entitled to say, no, we're 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 three, four, two, one team um, but that's a concern for me because we have struggled um, against those type of teams that sit in against us and do you think the results haven't been good do you think that maybe there's a case by case basis here so so let's spool forward to the uh, Nations League and it's Armenia that maybe when he's not giving Nathan Collins a start and he's not getting Darrow Shea back into the team that he might actually go and play a different formation for that game because um He'll have he'll have had his first choice. He'll he'll you know he'll definitely be picking his strongest team for that competitive game. There'll be no rotation of yes. players that actually in that instance that, that maybe last night was a, a horses for courses selection that they wanted to give Collins and O'Shea game time in that three at the back scenario because if for example the injuries are what we think they might be um, in the summertime we're playing Scotland and they haven't played there then it's a, a huge leap for them. Yeah, but the only issue with that is we're not stuck at centre half. It's not where our real problems are. Problems, not they're not problems as such, but 
where we've got to get better is is in midfield area. So, um, and and look, it's okay if you're Chelsea um, because you're going to win most games playing that system. It's okay if you're Man City and you say, we're not going to play centre-forward today, we're going to dominate with the best team in your league. It's okay to be Shamrock Rovers in League of Ireland because you know you're going to have most of the ball. But Ireland aren't any of them teams. We're not the best team. We're middle-ranked in most groups we'll come into. Um, we're looking to punch above our weight. And I only asked a simple question. Did we miss an opportunity last night of trying a different system, different shape in a team uh, that we're going to dominate against? So do we need three centre-halves? I take your point, and, and I would imagine that's... Um, if I had this out with Stephen, um, I, I, I'm no longer. Uh, that's no longer my role in life. But if I had it out with Stephen, he'd probably make that point you've just made. But um, I think modern day football is all about different systems, uh, managing the opposition, and coming up with different scenarios. So you will find that I think we played really well under Stephen against top teams by and large, and we've struggled under teams that aren't as good. So. That's my area of concern. What we can't do is, when the Euros come around or World Cup come around, have an amazing performance against a Germany or a um, Belgium as we did tonight, and then drop silly points against a team because we don't have a cutting edge and, and we're short of that number 10 position, as we keep saying. I mean, Alan Brown looks like a goal threat every time he plays for me. Um But it doesn't mean we have to start Alan Brown every time. But come up with a scenario where someone like Alan Brown can come into the team when we play the lesser nations. But Again, probably repeat myself a lot there. But I No, think it, it uh, makes perfect sense. And, and the opportunity cost, on one hand, is that you will go into a big game without your young players having experience of the system you're going to play in the big games and the other side of that is that you don't know what to do in against the lesser opponents. So if 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 you'd had your well, opportunity... That's why you played the big book chair, like, to well, be fair. And it's easy for me to sit here uh, and, and, come, and come up with a different... Uh, argument to it that's all so what what would you what would the other formation be if you were actually trying to um, to build a team to beat Armenia you know because those points are going to count as much in the end as uh, and if you drop those points they're the ones that end up really wrecking your CV so what would you have done last night for example well well, for example last night could we have played um, with with two eights of like you look at Huerhan who I think is a highly underrated player you look at the position he played for Aston Villa at that time where he had Jack Grealish. He was outstanding at times in terms of that number eight, just off the left-hand side. Grealish was allowed to roam. So if you imagine you replaced a Grealish with someone like a Troy Parrott playing ahead of him, then Huron covered that position. He's done it before club level at the highest level premiership. Brown as another number eight uh, and somebody sitting in behind him um, in terms of that type of midfield. So Josh Cullen. Basically. Josh Cullen, yeah. obviously, yes. Um, um, in terms of that position, can can we get um, you know Matt, Matt Doherty is a fullback? If Ender Stevens is fit, another fullback, and say to them, right, we're playing Armenia here. Like, if you think of our current shape, a lot of our attacks are down the centre of the pitch. We're hoping that um, Robertson and and Abenia spin out to the side, but against a team that's going to sit in, make a, the pitch really narrow, then you've got to hurt them down the sides. For me. And okay. that's where um, I would have went with a different system last night or I certainly would have asked a question or went to it at some stage in the middle of the game. Now, it is difficult, yeah, trying to teach people how to play in these systems. But I think the modern-day player can adjust the systems. They'll go back to their clubs, these players, um, and play, like, 
uh, they play all sorts of different systems. As I said, go back to Will Keane. He plays as a number 10 um, for, for Wigan, and he's outstanding at, at that role as well. Um, Alan Brown plays in all sorts of formations. Sometimes he's a, he's a wing-back uh, for Preston at a really high level, the championship. So uh, probably a little bit of a missed opportunity for me, but I completely understand why you do it. It's about getting results at the moment. It's about the rhythm and the, and the pattern of play. And I think the system we have at the moment is brilliant against the better teams. So uh, be under no illusions. I'm not criticising the way we're playing. I think the way he played against Belgium was excellent, caused some huge problems. And if that was a competitive game, albeit Belgium would have better players there. I like the style of what they're doing. I just think we have to have a plan B and start to develop that over the next number of months. Have you seen any or significant evolution in our style in the last 12 months? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, um, I think we, we all know we started with a flat back four. We played one number six and two number eights. It didn't work. And um, and yeah, I'm calling for that to a point. But it didn't work against good opposition. We were too uh, exposed in the midfield at different stages. Um, we, but but I think I think when you, you go back to last night, for example, because it was the second game in a campaign, and again, that's where we need to learn from. I think Chidozzi wasn't as explosive as he was against Sweden. He still played quite well. Um, I thought uh, Robinson wasn't as explosive again as he was the other night. So, again, that's why we didn't look at plan B. But how, how we developed, we've got the ball forward a little bit quicker, not direct, not um, long balls, but we've, we've used our pace and our movement down the side. People haven't really noticed, but at different stages against Belgium, the, the interaction between the front three with Jason Knight sometimes as, as almost like the false nine was brilliant. He, he went up the pitch and back the pitch. He was excellent. I think he's a real a real find. I think it was only a matter of time bef- before people seen the, the quality he had. I know everyone's talking about Derby now, but we would have spoken to show maybe 10, 9 months ago and we were speaking about Jason Knight might overtake the Conleys, the, the, the Pirates of the world in terms of the squad. So, the pool of players have really developed, um, but we've a lot of players that are very similar. That's the concern. Like, yeah, we've a lot of good centre halves, a lot of good midfielders. I've, I'm, um, I'm out of time here, but what, what's Jason Knight's best position for Ireland? And does he have to start? Because it feels like he he just brings. Now maybe he can't start every game because he's so young, and the explosiveness won't be there game on game on game. But like. Um, I want him in the team. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I think it depends on the opposition. And uh, that's, in one sense, that's a lazy answer with a lot of detail behind that because it depends on the opposition. If you look at the position Jamie McGrath played against Portugal, I think he's he, uh, he's brilliant at that position. But I also think um, against, for want of a better word, if we're going to stick with this shape against lesser opposition, he could play much more central and allow um, Robinson and and he play in those areas as we spoke about those sort of half and half centre forwards in between the opposition fullbacks and centre halves. So um, I, I think he's I think he's right on that limit where yes he's he's a bit like Josh Cullen he sort of slowly slowly came into the team and now probably deserves to play and I think if he got games over the the summer I think once the summer is over he'd head into the Euros as one of our starting eleven I think he's he stepped up to the plate. It'd be interesting to see what happens with my club level as well, because um, it looks like Derby will go down. So, yeah. will he end up at a championship club? And I think that's okay. I think 
um, a longer discussion. We must get into it one day. But I, I was I was looking at something over the weekend, and I could only count twelve Premiership players, and I was including Evan Ferguson, that who got some game time at Brighton. So he's a, just a young lad coming through. It's okay to have a team going back to Wales of Championship players playing a really good standard week in week out. That's a really high level. The level of the bar, like back in 2012, we had nearly 40 players in the Premiership at Premiership clubs getting some game time when we last when we qualified for Euros that time. So the the numbers are right down, but it's okay now to be Championship based for the Ireland squad with a bit of sprinkling magic on top of that would would be good enough. So. Yeah, it's 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 certainly uh, a lot of positives. As, as much as I went on about a bit of negative there, a lot of positives. Things have really come together and stuff we said would happen has started to happen. Vinny, good stuff. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. That's uh, Vinny Parth giving us his thoughts there this morning on the Republic of Ireland situation. Always thoughtful in the aftermath of those games. It's 8.37 if you want to get in touch. Uh, a reminder you can do it on YouTube you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream you can use the hashtag OTBAM or you can get us on Twitter at OffTheBallAM uh, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day it is time for the papers there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer what do you mean a spoofer? he's a bullshit. ah no I'm a, come on don't, don't be no I'm not yes. no you, you 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 know you're a, a sub editor. You you don't get it very often in the oh, here. I'll go. Ireland are going in the right direction. Steve Briggs yesterday in uh, her press conference. This is otbsports.com. New Champions League format gives safety net for non-qualifiers. That is total spoofery and bullshit. And then virtual insanity is there. We'll get to virtual insanity in a moment. But I was just making the point that you know you you exist off Broadway if you are a, a sub editor of the newspaper. And then once in a lifetime, the moment comes along where you just know, you just know that you're producing your best work and you are going to be Tab of the Morning. Who is Tab of the Morning? Slick as a parish, is that the one? Uh, we're going to have to judge these. We do have Tab of the Morning. Well, how do you do? Tab of the Morning. See, S- Slick as a parrot is good, right? Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. I'm very good at these things, by the way, just to blow my own trumpet. Well enough, Troy. I like this. This yeah, is, yeah. This is, this, this is for the intelligent people. This is Helen of Troy, right? Well <laughs> yeah. in of Troy. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that is definitely that is excellent. That sorry, well in of Troy is the sun. Slick as a parrot is the mirror. Troy Wonder, nah, is the like Irish that. Daily Mail. But it has to be. It's the late late Troy show. I like I like the other one, the first two, which is the back of the Irish Independent. And then you think, ah, oh, I've done great work today. But then it's also in the back of the Star. Somebody else. They didn't steal your homework. I wonder, did they know? Is there kind of a conference call or something like that? Great minds think alike. Yeah. But how sick are you? It's like, yes, yes. Yeah, I've got it, yeah. Well, the supercalifragilistic. Well, that's obviously the all-time great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But like... I used to do these in college. It lands and you're like, no, no, they got the same one. Yeah. Uh, You'd wonder what the the postscript or the aftermath or the the, the big conference call this morning is going to be like. We thought we had them, but... I suppose the thing about it is that tomorrow's another day. I mean, you have to forgive me, but I, Media House sold the star, didn't they? And the star is now owned by the Reach. Reach, the, yeah. yeah. The mirror so the star. But they, there would have been a period of time, a short period of time, where the star and the Indo would have been in the same building. And yeah. yeah. That, if that had happened at that stage... Oh, it'd be killings. Well, 
who who saw it first? <laughs> It's like the microphone. You, you used to get a big kind of bonus or we ever got the microphone into pictures in the paper back in the day. 50 quid? Yeah. You get like you get an, an, a note from like one of the big bosses if you got a, a microphone in. Like it was all, it was this strange thing to get judged on, you know? Where was this? Back in the day and I think it was back in 98 FM or right. Today FM as well. Uh, so everybody wants about uh, supplementing their income by <laughs> yeah. making sure they were front and centre, which you should be anyway when you're in a scrum. Um, so, sorry, you used to be good at headlines, is that what you were? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's one of the things I was good at. We had a, in college where you were as well, myself, Jared, there was a, the, the, the Trinity manager was called Terry McCauley and uh, he was really unhappy about a game and they lost 3-0 and I just put McCauley Sulkin. Ah, that's excellent. And uh, we lost in the hockey to Nace. It was nasty. <laughs> and uh, did um, I must try? I must speak to Tommy Rooney about. It. We'll try and get something up now every morning. Did Macaulay Silken uh, come for you when he? No, no. He, I think he enjoyed it. I think he enjoyed it. Terry McCauley he was a great Irish football man. Still is. Uh, right. It is eight forty one, eight forty two this morning. What did you make of last night? Um, look, we have issues around creativity against weaker teams. Obviously, we need a Wes in there if we can. Um, I think it was good to see Ryan Manning and Nathan Collins play well. I think Troy Parrish, everybody's been raving about him for years for a reason. And that was one of the reasons last night, which we saw. The goal was really well taken from outside the box. Um, I think the other thing about the goal is that, like, I am going to seize the moment. I am not going yeah. to quail before it. He, do, he did that this in Andorra. Now, it was, a, it was a nothing game, but he still did it. He's grabbed it, and, he, and he's done that from behind now. It's a nothing game that Stephen Kenny really, really, the, yeah, really, yeah, really, yeah. really needed. Troy Parrott has that. And if he can apply himself, and look, it's good that he's playing for MK Duns. He's nearly played every game this season. If they can get maybe to the playoffs, if they get promoted, uh, like he's, he, he's going to be a number nine, as Stephen Kenny said in the presser. He's going to be a centre forward, and you just hope he gets the confidence now. And it's hard to break through. It's harder than it was in Robbie Keane's day to break through in England than it is now. I think we have Stephen Kenny here, and he says it's been a great week. I think it's been a very, a very beneficial few days, the game against Belgium and the game today. And the support we've had has been amazing, really, from the Irish supporters. And... Um, I think that will bring itself into the, the Nations League game. I think it'll be a, the atmosphere at the Nations League games, the home games in June will, will be absolutely electric. It's funny that Stephen Kenny has staked his position out as extremely positive. And sometimes I feel it's a little bit too much, but this is the way he's going to be. And he's not going to change for anybody. And I have to admire that. Yeah, and the, f- the supporters behind the goal were certainly, they're on board. There's a hardcore of people who are believers we didn't know this you see we didn't know this until covid no was we weren't sure yeah we weren't sure of it and uh, like maybe in the aftermath of the luxembourg game they wouldn't have been and there would have been booze after that well that's that it have, you know uh, so we're, we're here now in a much better place than we were a year ago poland and portugal through to the world cup it's hard to get into the world cup like north macedonia went down 2-0 to portugal bruno fernandez with two goals uh, poland beating sweden 2-0 robert Lewandowski on the mark again mo salah out yeah like the lasers thing was so wrong you know just if anybody hasn't seen this it's yeah they were shining lasers on mo salah when he took that first penalty for egypt um and 
Sadio Mane scored the winner for Senegal. The second time it's happened. Happened in the Africa Cup of Nations final. Happened again last night. Uh, I wonder will there be any tension between the two of them at Liverpool now uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, Ghana, Chris Hutton's involved there. Morocco, Cameroon, Tunisia all qualifying for the World Cup in Qatar in November. When Harry Maguire's name was called out at Wembley last night for the Ivory Coast friendly, some of the England fans decided it was in their best interest to boo him. And Gareth Southgate was pretty disgusted. I thought the reception was a joke, absolute joke. Uh, what he's done for us, uh, the way he's performed for England has been phenomenal. Don't, I don't get it. So we're either all in this together or we're not. And he's in an England shirt. And not only should you support a player in an England shirt regardless, but when he's played at the level he has and got us to the, uh, put the performances in for us he has, it should be total commitment behind him. I mean, what? The England fans are going to England fan, right? They're going to be pure gammon, some of them. Like, this is the same group of fans who charged the turnstiles at Wembley. Yeah, well, made well, an only a few months ago. Made an absolute disgrace of themselves. Like, yeah. this is the firework up the whole brigade. Yeah, you strange know? What do we expect strange, them to do? Strange people. Um, Declan Rice, actually, and Jordan Henderson coming out on social media uh, in defence of Harry Maguire, which is not what you want to see. I uh, wonder where this row will go between Cork and Kerry now. Well, not Kerry, they're not that Kerry are involved, but the Cork Senior Football Management writing to the County Board to express their desire to have that match in the semi-final of Munster played at Porky Rin on May the 7th. So the Munster Council favouring, it's understood, the game being switched to Clarny, as Porky Cueve will not be available because there's an Ed Sheeran concert on a couple of weeks before and there's, it'll affect the pitch. So obviously there are financial considerations here. Um, how much money will an Ed Sheeran concert generate? Uh, Porky Rin, at best, maybe could hold about 15,000. Killarney, 38,000. Cork haven't won there in the championship since 1995. Uh, they lost there about 22 points last year. You can understand, therefore, especially with Cork surviving by the skin of their teeth in Division 2, why they want the game at home. Porky Rin are nowhere in this talk of a strike. <laughs> yeah. So where this will go and what the Cork's candy board's uh, backbone will be around it will be interesting. Um, but Porky Cueve, ooh, cost a lot of money, didn't it? It hasn't been the best investment that uh, we've made in our sport in no. the last while. Uh, and if you're going to invest over 100 million in something that is possibly sitting more idle than it should be, and I know like you might not fill 10 to 15 to 20,000, but it wouldn't be amazing if you saw Cork City play there every Friday night. This is. Um Time for virtual insanity. Yeah. So it's A47. Let's do virtual insanity. You have entered Power Drive. This is the Texas Open. If you have a winner here, it matters just as much as if you get a winner in the Masters next week. Right, folks? So it starts in San Antonio tomorrow on the PGA Tour. Profit is a 17%. Uh, this course designed by Greg Norman is the Oaks course. It's par 72. you got to drive the ball well. Um, it can be windy. You need good ball strikers here, but you also need a bit of touch. A bit of an all-around game really required here. Starts at 1 o'clock tomorrow. Uh, be sure to shop around. A fifth of the odds of first eight players on offer from a load of bookmakers. Um, Rory McIlroy is the headline tip because for five each way at 8-1, to one, there's absolutely zero pressure on Rory this week. It's not Masters week. He's not going to be sitting at home thinking about the career Grand Slam. He's going to be playing this week. He was second here in 2013 on his only start. We know that he needs to produce three rounds, not one. It was 
65 at Bay Hill, then it was a 66 of the players, not not one round, three rounds. But he wants to be free with the swing. He is clearly the best player in this field. He's fresh. He didn't play in the match play. I'm going with Rory as my headline pick at 8-1 to one for each five each way. Second one is Anurban Lahiri at 100-1. to one. I couldn't believe the price of this guy, who was second to the Players' Championship, played so well. I watched this last year. He was fifth on his own. His form is spotty, but he's carrying serious momentum in here, Anurban Lahiri. And if momentum is anything in sport, I think he's a good each way bet at 100 to 1 for three each way. Uh, the third one is Chris Kirk at 33 to 1 for three each way. He carries two things in here course form and recent form. So the recent form before a miscut of the players was three top 15s in a row. He ranks 15th in strokes gained total this season. His form in Texas is not too shabby either. Sixth last year, one of three top 10 finishes in the event in his last six starts. He's dual win on tour, Chris Kirk. Kevin Streelman is our fourth selection for a year. 50 each way at 50 to 1. Once again, playing well, 7th at the Valspar Championship last time, 6th on his last appearance at this course back in 2019. Course form, recent form for Kevin Streelman. Dylan Fratelli is 80 to 1 for Euro 50 each way, lives in Austin down the road, won the Cottage Championship with the University of Texas, has made four cuts in a row, was 20th here a couple of years ago. He's never missed a cut here. He's a strange type of player in that he comes out of nowhere and does something, Dylan Fratelli, but I think another win could be in the offing for him. And then the rank outsider I'm picking this week, a French player Paul Barjon uh, 300 to 1 for a euro each way um, was 10th at the American Express back in California in January when he was the 54 hole leader there was actually a satellite tour event the Corn Ferry Tour event played at this course back in 2020 and he was tied for second so he's got course form he's a rookie he's learning his way and uh, of all the outsiders he was the one I liked Paul Barjon at 300 to 1 Dylan Fratelli Kevin Streelman Chris Kirk Anurban Lahiri I really did like this week at 100 to 1 but the headline tip Jar is Rory McIlroy price up the odds on Tiger appearing at the Masters even money right you think he's going to do it well why would he be going up there yesterday with, with his son and everything obviously he's testing wouldn't it be a very Tiger thing to do to turn up when Phil's not there? <laughs> Perfect timing. Just to let you know as well, the Shane Warren Memorial Service starts at 9am. 50,000 people at the MCG, a stand will be named in his honour. So look, sad month, but they're going to pay tribute there. All right, John, good stuff. Thanks a million for that. It's 8.50 this morning. This is OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to cross over to Belfast next, but first let's have a listen to James O'Donoghue and Paddy Andrews from episode 10 of season two of the Football Pod. Here's how they reckon Kerry Mayo in the Division 1 League final is going to go. For Sunday, you reckon, do you reckon Kerry will win this game? I have a sneaky feeling for Mayo. If Mayo goes oh, for I think it's very 50-50. Very I like Mayo this year, lads. I have to say, I didn't think I'd ever say it, but yeah, still, it's nearly Dublin waiting on Conor Callahan and the difference he can make. Mayo with Killian O'Connor coming back. Now I know it's hard to know when he'll be back. So and hard what to know kind of, kind of shape he'll be in. They've lost Tommy Conroy as well. Like Ryan O'Donoghue is very similar to what I feel what McCurry's done. He's had a brilliant year under his belt, and you can just see he's nearly he knows he belongs now. He's so oh. confident. He's leading the Mayo attack. And you're thinking, imagine Conroy just unfortunate with the injury. Jason Doherty's back. Killing O'Connor is the comeback. They still need somebody with O'Donoghue. Like, and, and oh, oh, I think they need to win. They I, do, I, yeah. To win the All-Ireland, they're going to need Killing O'Connor to come back. Jason Doherty, like you say, is like a, a new player for them. But yeah. they'll need Killian coming back and, and reaching even close to the levels he can get to. And then they are right in the mix. I think they've as good a chance this year of winning the whole thing as they have in any any other year over the last decade when they've come very close as well. But I 
I hope they could go and put the full team. You never, you never know what may happen in the National League. I know Jimmy, you were slating them last week, but I, I would imagine they'll put out the full team and, and go to take Kerry on on Sunday because I, I would say I think they're the two best teams in the country at the minute. Yeah. I, have to, I put them above Tyrone, above Dublin, obviously, throughout what's happened in the spring. And it would be it's brilliant to see if both teams go hell for leather and Croker, big crowd, good weather. I think it sets us up very nicely for the championship. Do you know yeah. what's going to be interesting? This is possibly the All Ireland final as well, isn't it? The way it, the way it pans out, that if both teams win their provinces, they'll avoid each other in the semi and meet in the I final. Think, I think Galway give Mayo a rattle though in the Connacht Championship as well. I they agree. will hundred percent. They will, but so they could play it three times, right? They've played already in Tralee. They have this game, so this is the one where you learn everything for a possible All-Ireland final. So we spoke about what Mayo were going to do with Clifford. Mm-hmm. You know, are they going to put Oshie Mullen back there? Or are they going to do more of a team defence? But like do, you Tyrone, save it? do you save that move? No, you can't. You can't because it might not work then. Okay. So you have to see, does it work? It's like um, you're getting a free go of testing it out here. You are. And what do, what do Kerry do with Rouen, who was outstanding in Tralee? You have to put someone on him. Are they yeah. going to draft this Jack Barry or Dermot O'Connor? Yeah, someone's going to have to look after Ruan because Ruan is so dangerous attacking. He just has to be looked after. Yeah, I don't know what you do. Do you reveal your hand and give everybody the opportunity to watch some videotape or do you keep everything absolutely secret, completely vanilla, until you meet again in the Northern final? I don't know. But that's, as we said earlier, why they get the big bucks. Obviously, metaphorically speaking, in the GAA, as opposed to actually. It's 8.53 this morning. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Hashtag OTBAM. Or, of course, uh, you can text us on 0879-180-180. Now, that was, as I said, episode 10 of the Football Pod. You were listening to James O'Donoghue and Paddy Andrews speaking with Tommy. You'll get a new episode every Tuesday morning from 6 o'clock, wherever you get your podcasts. And the best place is the OTB Sports app. Yesterday afternoon, Owen caught up with Joe Brawley and MP John Finucane in Belfast City Centre to find out where we're at on the redevelopment of Casement Park at the moment. First, let's have a listen to Joe Brawley speaking with Owen Sheehan. The, the history of it's important so that um, the Casement Park project was, if you like, uh, uh, it was going to be a sort of a compensation for, you know, 30 years of neglect of the GAA and... Um, the fact that we were entirely self-help. There were, I think, 1,000 council soccer pitches and I think two council GA pitches. So, you know, you were, you were coming from a history of discrimination and neglect. And what happened with Gaston Park was that in order to make it a cross-community project, the GA effectively brought rugby and soccer with us. And soccer got their new stadium Rugby got their new stadium and the GA still casement has got elephant grass and is infested with rats and you know, what was it what was such a vibrant, vibrant place to play football whenever I was playing. I mean we played down in the Ulster semi final there in nineteen eighty two. It was like an all Ireland final, forty thousand people there. What an atmosphere, what a place to play a game, a brilliant surface and all of that. So that's the history of it. The Real problem has been that the GA hasn't, in my view, understood how to properly engage with the residents. I think it would have been easily done. They could have built up tremendous goodwill if they'd had the right people dealing with them. And what we see is that the residents 
a small number of residents, admittedly, have felt backed into a corner and have... Uh, it's a bit like a neighbour dispute that goes on forever and no one can remember how it started. They take up entrenched positions and then it becomes their daily life, their daily obsession. And so whenever the planning permission was granted the first time, the residents immediately engaged. Like <laughs> it's, it's always a good idea, to, if you're going to judicial review, to engage the man who wrote the book on judicial review, yeah. which is exactly what Mr Justice Schofield, he was then just... Mr. Schofield was, he was the leading authority in judicial review here, uh, picked it apart and uh, the project was struck down. Now we're back again, planning permission has been granted again by Nicola Mallon and now um, there's a new QC on behalf of the residents. Again, I feel strongly that the, this could be resolved mm. because but for the residents' objections uh, and the judicial review you know, we'd now be laying the foundations for this magnificent new stadium that we badly need in West Belfast mm-hmm. and in the greater Belfast area just to regenerate all of that area. Theoretically believe in in the power of, of sport for good, in a, not, not in a place like this, but in, in all uh, places around the world, because it gets spoken up about, it gets glorified so much when a Euros bid is the headline-grabbing thing, you know, bringing people together and all that. Well, it's a power for, I mean, it's certainly a power for good in the amateur context. Mm-hmm. I mean, professional sport, is, 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 is truthfully an ugly place. You know, it does bring people joy to a certain extent uh, and all of that. And there's no doubt that it is, a, 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 you know, there, it is a power for good on the whole. But in our context, I mean, sport has a dramatic transformational effect on our communities, our families. The, fact, the building block of society is I know you and you know me. Now, if you're a GA man anywhere in the world, I might not actually know you but I know you. I go to Boston or I go to Moscow, the Seamus Heaney GA club, I go anywhere like that. If you're a GA man anywhere in the world, you'll be accepted. You'll have a place to stay. You'll have a job. You know, that sense of community is unrivaled. And in Belfast, particularly in West Belfast, where you've got about, say, you've 12 clubs, most of them have very poor facilities. A lot of them would be hoping in due course that they'd be able to use the new casement every now and again which will happen because it's going to be a community hub that's already been made clear and the fact that we would have something to rival any other sport like Croke Park and you got that you say wow well come on you know there are feelings of pride that come from that it's brilliant it's easy to motivate kids to say look we could be there someday Antrim needs to get a major push on because we have a huge population and we're not we're not doing sufficient work we're not sufficiently well resourced as yet to follow the Dublin model but casement is the sort of driver that could achieve that change really start to move us into a completely different place because I see it you know we have a huge population there's almost a million people living in Greater Belfast Mm. it's the second biggest city on the island and uh, you know you could see conferences being held here business political all the rest of it I mean, what a facility it will be. Yeah. Uh, why, is there other reasons as to, as to why that potential hasn't been properly explored over the last few decades with, with regards to Antrim GEA? Well, I suppose that you, you would have had a situation where people were coming out of a very dark time in Belfast, inner city Belfast. You know, we were up at the, like, there were Waterford people talking to me at the Antrim Waterford hurling game. And uh, 
I was saying to them, you know, look, if you just look across here, you're looking into Ballymurphy, you're looking at the White Rock, you know, which would have been an epicenter of the troubles, you know, snipers, machine gun battles, you know, um, hunger strikers, you know, rioting on a daily basis, you know, huge devastation in communities, sectarian assassinations all around Corrigan, just where we were watching that game, you know, and now it's a sort of an oasis of calm. So you... In the, at, the, at the heart of the Troubles and all of that, in Belfast there was a preoccupation with daily survival and everything that was going on around. So it was a huge stumbling block and it, it reversed a lot of the progress that had been made in Antrim during the 60s, 50s and 60s. And um, I mean, some some football teams, like for example the Ardoyne Kickhams were completely decimated. I think they lost 12 of their first team during the Troubles prison, assassin, you know, murder, all the rest of it. So there's no doubt that we're not in the tra- trajectory that we should be on. There's a lot of good work being done now at grassroots level. We have big numbers, you know, new clubs like St. Bridget's, etc. But Case Park would be very, very important to, to elevate us, to bring us up to a more, I don't like to use the word professional, it's not a, not a word I like to use in the context of what we do, but more serious, and we'll raise our standards. There's no doubt about that, that it will do that. And um, and uh, obviously resources are massively important, and that's going to be a key driver for resources. Mm. So for all those reasons, it, it uh, and of course it'll get rid of a, a, a shock and ice. I, mean, I don't know if you've been up to see it. You should go up and look at it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's shock. Uh, oh, it's shocking. You talked there about a lot of the progress being undone after the sixties. Uh, have the other sports suffered a similar fate? Like, I mean, like you look at something like Star of the Sea, for example, a, a brilliant club that was obviously decimated throughout the troubles as well itself. And I guess if you fast forward to now, you've got, I guess, rugby and soccer with their gleaming new stadiums. Does that is that emblematic of the GEA being left behind at all? I think that you know, uh, in general, people would say, well, isn't it just typical of the north? You know, I mean, John Hume said once, if you want to know the sectarian nature of the North, look look where the motorways go. You know, so all the motorways were from Belfast out to Hollywood, out to Bangor, you know, all exclusively Protestant, to Ballymena. There's a motorway to Ballymena. You know, population maybe 25,000 people. Motorway onto Coleraine. You know, motorway that goes as far as Craig Avon. You know, and then a motorway that went to the sort of, to the edge of Tyrone, but didn't didn't proceed into Westeron. <laughs> you know, a motorway that moves from Belfast stops at Tombridge before it comes to Fenian country, you know. And then, you know, the the I think the fourth fourth biggest or third biggest city on the island, Derry City, no motorway. So you've got from Tombridge to Derry City you've got forty five miles, no motorway. And and so People would say, well, look, isn't it just typical? Gleaming new soccer stadium. You know, and the the irony of it is the amount of help that the GA gave Irish soccer and helping them with their bid and showing them how to put it together. You know, because it had to be cross community. So three sports three sports were getting grants and awards at the same time. You know. I mean Fergal Doherty, the great dairy footballer, you know, the famous heavy hitter, he used to you know, a lot of his big hits are on YouTube. 
he, he his 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 firm put the roof on the new on the new Ravenhill. You know, and you've got these sparkling new stadiums and casements sitting as it is. That's a brilliant conversation with you, Owen. You're welcome back. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well. Conversation there, Joe Brawley, always uh, incredible to to listen to. And I guess that point there that he he makes at the end about the the cross-community nature of getting uh, this thing up and running is a really interesting one if you go back through some of the the, the history of Casement Park. Because uh, what what you might have heard, anybody who was with us in the first half an hour of the show, was a, a very quick mention of the sporting facility that might have been built on the old side of the maze out near Balmoral. And that was supposed to be there gleaming new multi-purpose stadium which of course was uh, originally shelved before the three project plan in 2011 so that's the, the very brief historical context uh, into the conversation that 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 we kind of um that we didn't play at the very start there so the main problem seems to be that there is an ongoing legal process where there has been objections to the judicial review process where local residents are objecting to the plans to redevelop the stadium Yes, so we're into the second of those uh, controversies and it will play out after Easter and we need to let uh, due course take place, I guess, on that front and we will know over the next couple of months if there is going to be another roadblock. It is not the only roadblock, of course. The, the biggest one, arguably, was when the executive collapsed, what is it now, five years ago at this point when things looked like they were going to, <laughs> the wheels were going to, be, it is, it's a ridiculous amount of time, isn't it? Yeah, well, that was the first, that was the first executive. There has been one since, but it has also collapsed. Yeah, well, the initial, and then there's also this this collapse. And then we're going to have May, where there's hopefully going to be uh, a bright new future on a political sense. But what it really seems to me is that if things will all come together nicely on a political level in May, you've got to act pretty bloody quickly to get things over the line here. And what we've seen is that things move slowly. That was one of the voices in that box pop earlier on. This is Northern Ireland. Things don't happen quickly, he said. And it's very, very true. So it's... It's an absolute nightmare. There's no way of putting it any other way. OK, let's, let's get back to your, your bit with uh, Brawley here. He, here he is talking about life in Belfast in, in 2022 and particularly how East Belfast has changed. You'd be forgiven for thinking of me to be, oh, well, here we are. You know, here. But the, we're, we've, we've really moved a long, long way from that sort of sordid sectarianism. The vast majority of parties have moved a long, long way from that and just are getting on with the business, as John was explaining earlier. But the Casewell Park project was so important that the last thing that the GA could be about it was high-handed. How we take your time, get relationships right at street level there in Belfast. All the things that we've talked about. There could have been easy accommodations made and in my view there still could be easy accommodations made. You know, people aren't fundamentally unreasonable, and you know if you're spending two, three, four, or five million on the delays between judicial reviews, the delays in getting started, having to go again, consultants, new plan, everything else, you know, you can settle this. You can settle this case for the residents. You know. What about when you think about the, the, the future of this city and, I guess, the, the GEA in this city? I mean, you've obviously been involved volunteering uh, around the place for, for quite some time. H- have you seen a change? Have you I'm, seen not the refuse, I'm not refusing to do interviews. And not refusing to do no, interviews? No. <laughs> yes. Um, you were, uh, I interrupted you there. No, I was I was going to ask about the what you've seen, how your experience of 
being a volunteer of of the GEA in the community, how that's changed and how that's moving forward over the next little while. Like I mentioned to John earlier on, the East Belfast project has been a very interesting one over the last little while. And the, the foundation of that club uh, during the pandemic was was a, was a brilliant story. And it's not a new story, uh, certainly from what you've been saying here. But I think those sort of moments give people a, a very clear graph of, of how things are moving. And that, that's exactly how sport kind of tells the story sometimes of a place. It will. Again, a friend of mine... In America, he always says demographics is destiny. And so East Belfast have been traditionally very, very ferociously loyalist. Now you've got a very, very mixed population and a growing mixed population. And, you know, racism is dying out. And in East Belfast, like where I've been involved with the, the groups up there, um, you, they've now got, I think, the third highest membership of any club in the North. They have a significant... A minority of people from the Protestant faith involved. And again, it's these social contacts that are far more important than the games themselves. And the fact that now they're, 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 they're fundraising towards buying ground to build their own facilities, what an endeavour that will be. I mean, you go, up, you go up there on a Saturday morning now and there are just squadrons of kids coming in you know, every every hour a new squad arrives. It's all country folk, of course, by some throne and our man, all of that, who are who are who are leading the charge with it. But overlooking Harland and Wolf, you know, in 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 an area which was notoriously sectarian, to see you know Gaelic games being played, and also it's an exemplar to the local community to say, look, there's nothing to fear here. You know, this is all a bogeyman that's being created. You know, the GAB and the IRA at play. That used to be one of the DUP slogans that the, that the, the GA was the IRA at play. People are seeing for themselves now, you know. And the president, of course, of the East Belfast Club is Linda Irving. Mm-hmm. And Linda, you know, um, comes from the Protestant tradition. She's an Irish speaker. Um, she she um, got her Irish scholarship in Queen's University on a special programme, you know, for... for um, adult adult learners and all of that is where the society is going Can the GEA do more to move away from the idea obviously the IRA plays a ridiculous notion but to move away from the idea of nationalism should it be doing more to, to do that? Well <laughs> I mean, I think that nationalism as a concept is is dying anyway. I mean, I mean, Ireland is in a in a, a sort of a, a a very strong federation of twenty seven states, and then, I mean, altogether, I think of the forty forty eight European countries and dependencies, forty five of them are either in the European Union, in the European free trade area like the Scandinavian countries with very, very close links uh, or are applying to join the European Union. There are only three outside, Belarus, Russia and now the United Kingdom. And so in England particularly, uh, I mean the Scots are trying to disassociate themselves from this. You know, They never voted for Brexit. But in England they're trying to turn it into a, a tax haven to continue to do what they're doing with the British Territories which are tax havens, British Virgin Islands, all of that, the Caymans. Um, that was the real reason behind the European Union project. And 
we see where that nationalism brings you, that xenophobia. We see it in Russia, we see it in Belarus, see it in England. In Ireland, I think that people are happy to be Europeans now. And increasingly, of course, we go and cheer the team on when they're playing rugby. We cheer the team on when they're playing their big soccer games. Um, but the concept of nationalism, I think that it's dying. It's dying. You know, and it's dying in the north as well, I believe. I think that you know, we're seeing through Brexit how ridiculous it is, the idea that we should be made to suffer just like the English are suffering now. Uh, and, the, and, that, and that the protocol should be you know, ignored and international agreements ignored. I mean, it's just so nonsensical. Mm. You know, Northern Ireland or the North, whichever way you want to describe it, has has suffered enough and we're getting a great boon in trade now at the moment over the last since Brexit we've had a great boon in trade I mean you look at, at when I was out in the White House I met the leaders of the Belfast Chamber of Commerce at Northern Ireland Manufacturers Association all of them all of them extolling the, the virtues of 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 us remaining in the European free tra- free trade zone and the massive opportunities that, that businesses in the north are taking advantage of it's all a matter of public record mm-hmm. so um I think that it's all city. I think this election is is an important one. I don't say pivotal because life goes on anyway, and politics, to a very to a large extent in the north, has often been divorced from real life and reality of your daily life. I mean, during the troubles, everybody just voted. You just voted green or orange, you know. Uh, but things are very very different now, and it'll be fascinating to see how it all pans out. All right, there's an election we can all look forward to, Owen, that hopefully maybe has um, some impact. Uh, the last part of this interview, uh, tell us exactly how this worked. So I'm chatting to Joe there in the office of John Finucane, who is a Belfast lawyer, who's also uh, an MP for North Belfast, the first uh, nationalist-backed uh, MP for North Belfast. He uh, got more votes than Nigel Dodds in 2019 and uh, got his uh, seat, figuratively speaking, in, in Westminster in that election. So it was a truly historical election. Uh, he was a, a mayor of Belfast and he is the son of Pat Finucane, who was uh, murdered at his home in 1989. Uh, they're still fighting for full justice on that at the moment. So uh, John Finucane is, uh, is a figure who's a bit of a hero to many around Belfast. And himself and, and Joe Brawley are friends, but before speaking to, to George Brawley, I was I was in the office uh, speaking to, to John Finucane just for a bit of a play-by-play on the Euros bid, why it's important, and his own role in it. Well, my understanding is that Windsor Park doesn't have the capacity to deal with uh, a Euro 2028 bid, so it, it really would need to be casement, and, and that is another example of one we're needed as to why we need to have some urgency around getting casement built. It, it's already been too long, but... You know, I, I think to have one of the most prestigious soccer tournaments in the world coming to our shores here, with the potential, I think, around seven matches coming into West Belfast, I think it will be a huge boost for um, the economy, for tourism here. And we can show off our famous Belfast welcome. And I think some of the projections that I read showed that for an investment of around 100 million, it, it, you could be looking at a minimum return of around 217 million. So economically, it, it, it makes perfect sense. But as a sports fan, I, and I am a big sports fan, I think to see the types of matches that the Euros throw up right on your doorstep, being able to bring your kids to that, having that atmosphere here, I think 
should rally, I think, all political parties to really push to achieve this. It's a bid that's supported by both football associations on the island, by the IFA and the FAI. Uh, and I think that what people want to see here is they want to see political parties work together to secure uh, tournaments like this. The, the one, I guess, fine deointment of that is that the DUP don't seem convinced that Northern Ireland will have a part to play in this. Obviously, the collapse of the executive is a significant part of that. They have been the one, I guess, dissenting voice recently when it comes to this idea that Casement Park will be available. Yeah, I, I was critical of, of the of the economy minister. I thought it showed a, a lack of vision and a lack of ambition as to what you know we we should be bringing to our shores here. Um, but I think the reality is that you know Casement Park is going to get built. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a first class stadium, and I think that um, you know sport transcends identity politics here. So football fans will want to see the Euros come into Belfast if there's even a remote possibility of that. They will demand that their political parties support the IFA, they support the FAI, and they join the bid to bring that tournament here. So I think a bit of real politic will kick in after the election. We're in a season at the minute. Um, whereby I think there is a little bit of silliness from some parties, but I think this is just too big an opportunity to miss out on. And for what it's worth, our party in Sinn Féin are, are completely committed um, to this bid and we want to work with other parties to secure that. I guess the other element of, uh, not, not criticism of this possible project, but maybe caution around it is, is people who are involved in Gaelic games in this city and in this county because there have been so many false dawns in the past with Casement Park. I know for a fact that there are people with the Nantrum GEA who, who are very cautious about this idea that Casement Park can be involved in Euro 2028 because it doesn't exist yet and they thought it would exist a long, long time ago. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair enough analysis. Um, people just want to get the stadium built first, and then we can we can talk about what matches that it's going to host. Um, there has been progress. It's it's been painfully slow at times for a variety of reasons, um, but we do have planning permission that has been granted. Um, the GAA, importantly, remain committed to this project, and that's really that's significant. And I think it's important um, for Ulster Gales, but particularly for Antrim Gales, that the GAA remain firmly behind this project. Um, there is a legal challenge, which which I think is due to be heard quite soon um, that will be decided one way or another but I think it's clear that, that the residents of West Belfast want this, the people of Belfast want this, Gales want this, sports fans want this um, You know, we look uh, w- with a touch of envy at our um, friends in rugby and, and football and they have Windsor Park and they have um, the, the Ravenhill ground as well and I think that we want to see you know, a first class stadium, one of Ireland's best stadiums in, in the country's second biggest city um, and it will be so good for, for, for Gaelic games as I say in both Belfast and Ulster and that, that is the thing it is part of that three step project to, to redevelop the sporting facilities in this city you do have further criticism from the DUP Paul Frew saying it's sectarian politics that uh, Casement Park is uh, trying to get the wheels in motion at the moment and then more, more local football projects uh, the football stadia uh, projects have been halted at the moment he thinks that's differentiating to do them is sectarian politics but I guess the reality is that it was part of the original plan to upgrade Ravenhill uh, and indeed uh, Windsor Park. Yeah, I mean, very briefly without, I suppose, going into it in too much detail, the reason why um, funding for sub-regional stadia in in, in soccer hasn't been able to be um, released is because the DUP walked out of the executive. That has a knock-on effect with what the executive are are, are able to uh, commit to as far as new decisions. Casement is not a new decision. Um, My my colleague and the communities minister, which has remit over sport, Dergy Hargy, met and explained this with with the IFA and, and, and local clubs 
and I, I think they understand and, and respect that decision. There is a degree of frustration um, with politics that, that because one party walked out, we are unable to release money. But I do think that's going to be short term. We will have the election in May. Um, people across the board want to see parties background and, and working with each other uh, and, and delivering. So we have big issues like cost of living and, and, and health. Um, but for me, I'm always unashamedly biased when it comes to sport. I want to have top class facilities so that children in the next generation have the best options available to them to go on and be the best uh, gale that they can be or, or football player, rugby player, athletics, whatever it is. And I think it's um, it, it's a commitment that the political parties must have. So I think there's a little bit of silliness and probably electioneering whenever um, Paul Frew is making making the types of statements that, that he's making. I don't really wish to get down into that. I just want to keep my focus on being able to deliver um, a new casement park for everybody in the city. All right, so that's John Finucane there speaking with you, and You spoke to both of the, the two lads together. Yeah, I, I should mention as well that John Finucane is a, a former Antrim goalkeeper as well, and uh, himself and Joe Brodie would have played against each other a couple of times, certainly in, uh, in club GEA, so uh, the two of them sat down for a chat as well a short time after that. Joe Brodie has joined us. Uh, Joe, you just said there that you guys go back a long way. Well, I can say with pride that my debut in senior football in Antrim, I loved, I loved John. All six foot three of them. He, he stayed on his goal line. He for, stayed on his goal line. For play, yeah. And you, somebody captured it on video. Really, and to this day, you can see it on YouTube. Well, you can see it because you keep retweeting it every now and then. That's why you can see it. <laughs> uh, we should have had this agreed before the interview started that that wasn't allowed to be mentioned. I have to say, you know, the, the, even the Love Jarek supporters laughed. I'd say it was terrific. It was terrific for, for some people or not everybody. But uh, yeah, Joe's a delight as always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about being kindred spirits off the pitch? When did you discover that, that that was going to be the case? Well, I mean, obviously we're very proud of John. You know, he, he, after you know, the adversity that he came through as a child, you know, with his father being shot and all of that. You know, for him to become the Lord Mayor of Belfast, and we enjoyed that. Now, the, the 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 Lord Mayor's limousine and all, and then of course now the first the first um, Sinn Féin MP for North Belfast, and doing a massive amount of work for regeneration in his local community, and someone who's got the right community spirit. You know, and I think you find this in Belfast, sort of working class Belfast, and also with the GAA. You know, feet firmly on the ground and a vocation for service so we're, we're very proud of him I must say yeah. That uh, sense of vocation John obviously as as uh, Joe mentioned it, it comes from a place of real hardship and is that something that still motivates you to this day obviously there is still quite a campaign going on from your own point of view I, I don't know if it motivates me because you know there's I mean, there's something in you. I mean, as Joe, Joe talked before about, you know, when you're a gale, there's something in you, you know, when it comes to certain things. And for me, um, the law was a natural thing to be interested and involved in because you have the ability to affect change and help people. And I suppose the extension of that politics for me isn't that different. It shouldn't be that different because all you're doing is trying to affect change that's positive and help people. And that comes from, you know, your local area to then coming out and talking about bigger issues the way we were chatting about Casement Park earlier on and you know how that's important to deliver on but I think that you know it's obviously had a huge impact in influencing and probably shaping my own experiences but I wouldn't say that you know my own family's experience drives me on to be involved in politics maybe it does maybe that's that, that's something that you know other people would be better placed to answer rather than me but you know it happened what happened to me happened to a lot of other people happened to many other people um, and I think that 
we're at a time now, particularly in Belfast and in the north, where I think people want to see what the vision is for the future. They don't want to necessarily go back and refight old battles from the past. And that's you know that's what I'm about. There's going to be things that you know people are going to disagree on, and that's fine. You can do that in, in a healthy way. But it's about delivering for people. You know, again, we're chatting earlier on before Joe came that people are facing real issues here. Cost of living, health waiting lists are the worst on the island. Or if we're talking about sport, you know, we need to see casement up and running. We need to see proper investment in the in the local sport. That's what people want to see. They don't want to hear me on you know arguing about something that people are not going to agree on from 30, 40, 50 years ago. Also, I think that there's there's no barriers. I mean, I always laugh when I see my seeds on. You know. I remember when he was the Lord Mayor and the big limousine was pulling up, you know, with his driver and all. And there he is, you know, he's at a, he's still doing nets for Lava Tarag, you know, and the boys don't pay a blind bit of notice. And uh, we did that thing, do you remember that car wash thing that we did up in North Belfast? Oh, that's right, uh, yeah. yeah. And again, he's there. He's just part of the furniture, you know. Nobody makes a fuss out of him, and all that helps to keep your ground. Obviously, very. Apparently, so apparently, it was the first time in the Lord Mayor's history that their office had to keep an eye on Adam Division One fixtures because they <laughs> they didn't want to be fixed anything. They'd be going, I, uh, Lord Mayor, I think you have Ross away that uh, night, or you've you've Cargan at home, and you went, all oh, right, okay, we'll maybe try and move that to yeah, yeah. facilitate that. Yeah, and it's really, and John obviously is a is. A, you know, important for a number of reasons. You know, his intellectual ability is is, is uh, you know the way that the way that politics are moving here, very very quickly on the on the sort of nationalist Catholic side, where there's a really, as you say, the past is another world, and it's about getting on with the business, the real business, and you know, obviously there's still the hangover in the south, particularly where I have to say I find it very very irritating that no matter what I said, I said, oh well, you know, but well, look at what the IRA did 50 years ago and 40 years ago. No doubt, all of that was atrocious, but here, you know, the reality on the ground is that uh, the vast majority of parties, with the sort of dishonourable exception of the DUP, are working to affect change and working together and cooperating very well. So you go up to Stormont, you see that, you actually see the relations that are built between people, the personal friendships, you know, the outlier obviously are the DUP who don't engage, don't talk to anybody. I mean, if you ever went into the canteen and I mean, the first time I went into the canteen in Stormont, it was hilarious. What happened? Well, the DUP sit in the corner with their backs to everyone and don't speak. You know, they don't, they don't engage with anyone outside of their own group. And that's essential, I suppose, if you're going to cling to, uh, an ideology that doesn't work in the modern world. You get, I mean, I, I talked earlier on about my daughter playing county football. I mean, my eldest is first year university over in over in Scotland. My daughter's just turned eighteen. Um, I would say, and I would say Joe's probably the same with his kids. You know, if any of that social circle started asking about what your political or religious background is, you'd be laughed out of you know whatever social setting you happen to be in. Kids don't care about that. They're caring about their exams. They're caring about university. My daughter's more confer- concerned about who's refereeing or next match, you know, and you know that's that's what their focus is. They're the things that people want to be focusing on. It's you know what type of job am I going to get after I go to university? And I think that 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 normality, I think it's a bit of a cliche, but it's true that normality doesn't sell newspapers. You know, it doesn't make a sexy headline on on um, on TV news. But the reality is that the majority of people here work and live and exist with each other harmoniously on a on a daily basis and that's why I was referencing I was saying it before you come in Joe one of the sort of strange outworkings when the DUP walked out of the executive is that all of the other parties just went right we're going to go around them or over them and you saw a whole swathe of legislation getting passed in a couple of weeks you know whether it was integrated education welfare mitigations um, bereave, or, um, 
bereavement um, support for parents who, who are losing Most children. Ten, yeah. yeah, and I think it's the first in Europe for that. So you have all the other parties saying, right, we're not going to be distracted by one party effectively throwing their toys out of the pram over an agreement between the British government and the European Union. We're going to go around them and over them because we need to deliver for people here. And that's that's what the majority of people want. And I think I think Joe's right. I think that's what you are going to see yeah. post May the 5th. The the the, um, the day last week when Jeffrey Donaldson and um, Jim Allister etc. You know were threatening all sorts uh, at at one of their rallies. I noticed that on that day, very quietly, you would have seen it on Twitter, but you wouldn't have seen it anywhere else. That the that the Shankill Women's Centre uh, had come over to the Falls to spend a day with the Falls Women's Centre. Mm. You know, and uh, that's that's the reality here. You know. The, 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 the old ideas of the Troubles, don't forget now, it's 23 years and counting since the ceasefire. Um, it has no daily relevance to our lives. We don't see it. It's an extremely peaceful city. It's got one of the lowest rates of domestic crime of any city in Western Europe. We're very fortunate to live in this society. And my view is that things will just develop organically now in a common sense way because there's no way that we, we will go back to, 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 to the struggle. I mean, the, the smaller niche sort of dissident groupings who have zero support, genuinely zero support. I mean, we both work in, in, in the criminal law. You know, they're in the process now of sort of the dying embers. I mean, they're, they're going to be gone. Uh, no one on the, you know, no one, and we have a very well-educated populace, so people just want to get on. You know, I mean, my oldest boy's in Boston, the second one's in Dublin. Daughter's going to Spain to study. You know, like, who cares about this stuff? You know, you want to get on and love and you know be free and 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 to feel that you're living in a decent, civilized society. You know, and I think that in a way, this sort of hate that's been poured out over the last while from the DUP and the TUV, etc. You know, it 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 now can be seen for what it is. I have to say, I thought the Simon Coveney thing. Obviously, none of us want to see that type of stuff going on. It was very, very frightening for the gentleman in question. But it probably highlighted how ludicrous all of this is that's going on, you know, and how pointless it is in the longer term. Mm-hmm. I mean, society's moving on here, and if people don't want to get on the train, well, that's a matter for them, really. But it's moving on very, very quickly, like rocketing. All right, a little bit of context there from Owen about everything that's going on around Casement Park. We'll keep a close eye on when the findings of the latest judicial review are made public in April. Uh, Well, that's when the judicial review will start. When it actually gets made public, we'll find out after that. Around about half past nine this morning. We're a bit late. Here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today. Nigel Mansell, OTB Gold at one o'clock. Chloe Mustaki on Koi Gig at three o'clock is a brilliant interview. We've already played you a little clip of that a little bit earlier on. The Sporting Mindset is our retro panel at four. Luke Keeney is OTB Gold at uh, six and OTB tonight with Joe from seven. We're not finished yet, though, on Wednesday's OTB AM. Colin Buig is standing by to talk to us about Nick Kyrgios next. OTB AM. All right, Nick Kyrgios crashed out of the Miami Open last night with a stereotypical Nick Kyrgios bang. He's had uh, one of those seasons where actually things have started to pick up for him a little bit and we've expected that perhaps... He was getting to a point where he was mature and maturing and um, that video's not actually playing for us at the moment but uh, suffice to say that um, he he lost it a bit, Colin Buick. That's right, Jargil Roy. Our now uh, monthly men's tennis eruption segment, it seems. And the Kyrgios is back and it's a shame. Grand Slam champion Kyrgios 
has gone back to his old ways. He was having such a brilliant 2022. But uh, yeah, it all erupted last night. People might have been distracted with the Ireland game. They might have seen it or they could have seen it on social media. Kyrgios playing his fourth round match at the Miami Open against Yannick Sinner, world number 11. Uh, it was the first meeting between the pair. Sinner's one of the best young players in the game. It was a very tight first set. Um, Kyrgios was complaining about the slow court at the start of the set. Never a good sign for Kyrgios when he's complaining about the surface. And then the first kind of eruption really was at four all, 40-15 to Sinner when the chair umpire Carlos Bernardes walkie-talkie went off. Someone uh, spoke to him and it actually disrupted the whole match, the whole stadium. You could hear it loud and clear what the other person was saying at the other end. So the play had to be stopped. Uh, the point replayed and Sinner won that game. So Kyrgios wasn't happy about that, but he did take it to a tie break. Started a tie break, 2-1. Kyrgios hits wide, smashes his racket and breaks it. Again, not a good sign, but you know, doable. In the world of Kyrgios, he can go on. But it all turned at 5-3 in the tie break. So a very crucial moment, like very, very tight scoreline. Uh, Kyrgios was docked a point for what was perceived as unsportsmanlike conduct for talking to the crowd. The chair umpire felt that he was abusing him, the umpire himself, and he docked him a point, which meant that Sinner had three set points. Kyrgios double faulted, handing Sinner the first set. Kyrgios walked back to the chair umpire and gave him an absolute verbal lashing, called him every name under the sun, and smashed the racket against the chair multiple times. And then the chair umpire very calmly said, uh, game violation for Kyrgios, which meant he was one game down at the start of the second well, I think set. we can hear that. So we can we can have a, have a look here. This is um, beautifully described already, but I think we are going to be able to hear what's going on this time. First set, Fast set. By seven games, two sets. Oh, that's the game penalty. So he starts the second set of game down. Starts the second set of game down. So Sinner has the break straight away and never looks, never uh, really has any problems after that. Wins the second set 6-3. And uh, a big shame for Kyrgios because I saw the clip and I was like, ah, no. Do you know, I've been defending you for three years straight. Like, I thought you had turned the corner here because he seems like a happy guy. And he sent you a message on your wedding day and everything. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I thought we had something going on there, but I was disappointed to see him go back to old ways. As I said, he's a Grand Slam champion. Won the Australian Open doubles with his partner, Tanisai Kakanakis, uh, in January. And they're through to the semi-finals of this doubles tournament as well at Miami. And he was brilliant at Indian Wells, which is known as the fifth Grand Slam he uh, took Rafael Nadal to a deciding set. Nadal, who had been unbeaten up to that point this year at Indian Wells, very narrowly lost to him. Destroyed world number seven, Andrei Rublev, uh, in this tournament earlier in the rounds. So he has all the talent, as we know. But yeah, he went absolutely nuts on this occasion. Sinner, meanwhile, didn't say a word throughout. Just kept his head down and kept him playing. And also, amidst all of that, right in the middle of all that chaos, a fan went onto the court and got a selfie with Kyrgios, he was happy to oblige. Oh, wow. Do we know what he said to his mate in the crowd? Yeah, he uh, tweeted about it afterwards, Kyrgios. So he said, uh, the quote was, this is according to himself, you could do the job of the umpire. What was said to my best friend that got me unsportsmanlike code violation at 5-3 in the first set tiebreak? 
with 100 thousands of dollars on the line that was the decision he made because the umpire's feelings got hurt get new people <laughs> it's a curious show it's uh, the, I feel I've, I've come around feeling a little bit sorry I, it, this is a very different situation from some of the other uh, ones that we've, he's not taking anything out physically on anybody no, apart from the no. racket and the, so th- this is a different it does feel like there's a self-sabotage element going on just as he's getting to the point of reaching mm. the potential that he has so maybe that, maybe that comes later in his career but we've you know we've spoken before that there's, there's a possibility the constant possibility of retirement hanging over him it's hard to know what's going to happen yeah, it's kind of like this, but Gareth Bale a bit is equivalent for different reasons, kind of a part-time tennis player. But he does seem genuinely happy. I think um, the girlfriend has a big part to play. They're kind of all over social media together and he constantly uh, refers to her as his best friend for a guy who has a big circle as it is. And I think she kind of centred him and realigned him. And he posted a few weeks ago a picture from, I think, 2019 and there were uh, vis- visible physical scars in his arm for self-harm. So he went through a very tough time and he said, you know, he's a completely different person now. So when you see this meltdown happening yesterday, that was a real throwback to a few years ago. But for him, look, there was perceived injustice. It wasn't like he went onto the court unmotivated, which has been a problem in the past. As I said, he annihilated Rublev, who's one of the world's best players, uh, a couple of days ago, like really destroyed him. And it's a bit like, you know, when you say when you say um, a child's being quiet in another room, you're a bit worried because they're being too quiet. It's the opposite with Kyrgios. When he's being quiet, you can be happy because he's focused. He doesn't say a word. It's when he starts getting verbal. Like I said, his first complaint in this match was the surface. It's never a good sign. That's simmering. That means something's about to uh, implode. And yeah, there probably is a self-destructive element in him that, geez, I'm doing very well in my career at the moment. And this is the moment that uh, it all imploded for him again. But look, as I say, he's into the semi-finals of the doubles. He actually won his quarterfinal later that day. So maybe he wasn't too affected by it. But uh it was amazing to me was Sinner's composure and the umpire to be fair to him stood up for himself and I you know I kind of appreciate that because I think Kyrgios gets away with a lot at the same time as much of a fan of his that I am as we found out this week as Denzel Washington would say at your highest moment be careful that's when the <laughs> yeah. devil comes for you and his, uh, his devils were there last night Colin good stuff thanks a million alright take it easy that's your latest Nick Kyrgios update from our Nick Kyrgios correspondent Colin Buig. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We'll be live from half seven as always tomorrow. Owen's back from Belfast. There's hurling with Tommy Walsh and plenty more to chat through ahead of the weekend's action. If you missed anything on the show, you can catch it all back on the OTB YouTube channel or you can listen back on podcasts. And if you're still having problems with the podcast, get in touch with us by DM on Twitter or you can um, talk to us on Instagram as well and tell us what podcast app you're using that is giving you issues. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.